Welcome to No Cartridge Audio. My name is Trevor Strunk, Hagelbon on Twitter, and we're back with a a, a classic guest, uh, just a just a classic recurring guest. Uh, it's 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 Mr. Albus Dumbledore himself, AD. Uh, oh man! I, I thought I thought of this because my my daughter said that one of the uh, counselors at this uh, nature camp she went to today was a. B and I thought she said A D and I was like, Oh that's funny. It's sort of like sort of like if Deegan was her counselor. And then she was like, No, no, A D is Dumbledore. And I was like, Oh, that's funny. That, that's, <laughs> that's yeah. I feel like last time I was on here I was talking about how I never I was I'm like fully aware of all Harry Potter lore through like osmosis, not because I ever read any of it. Mm-hmm. So it's inescapable. I'm now Dumbledore. You're Dumbledore. That's right. That means I'm going to die at the end. That's the major no, I spoiler. Mean, really close to the, you'll be you'll be murdered by someone, um, but it'll all be a work. Well, it's someone who you're, you'll be you'll ask them to kill you because you trust them. It's it's the meanest thing you could possibly do. <laughs> I don't, I'm not gonna. I don't. I'm not gonna even do any follow up questions because I don't. I, I don't want to know the Harry Potter. Uh, one day I'm going to read. I'm going to read man. all of it. During next next pandemic, I'm going to read all of it. <laughs> it's coming. I mean, look, like <laughs> everyone everyone thinks it's going to happen because the 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 variants or whatever. I think we got a good like ten years, so you can plan what's going to happen for your next pandemic experience. Yeah, man. What are you going to get into? Start 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 plan start planning ahead. I started reading One Piece actually okay. this pandemic, which is funny because like that was one of those daunting things that was always like, okay, this has been in the works for like 30 years i will never read this and then i was just like all right pandemic fuck it and just got like right through it no i'm still i'm still catching up but uh i i actually because i'm a crazy person i have to read it in book form i didn't get like any apps or download any pdfs i actually oh well that makes it way more expensive it's actually because they produce so much of it it's so dirt cheap to get it used from japan because okay it's like buying Super Mario Brothers one, or <laughs> they just made so much of it that like people can't get rid of it. So, so do you did you buy the Shonen Jumps or did you? No, 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 no. I bought I bought the collected books, which is funny because like I would read in like a week a full book that probably took like months, if not a year, to come out. Yeah, and it being like a Shonen series where like it's good. Don't get me wrong. That's you heard it here first, folks. The <laughs> most piece is good. The most popular thing in the world is good, but uh, there are just you know because of how those comics are made, it just drags on for so long. And like I'm in like this chat with all these other like anime cats who are much more read up on all this stuff, and like I'm like this shit drags on forever, man. And they're like, yeah, imagine if that took two years. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I, yeah. I don't want to imagine that at all. That sounds terrible. <laughs> but yeah, it's got it's got that same sort of like pathological problem of just like, hey, here's a strong guy and they're going to fight. And you're like, oh, cool. And then like you look at like three volumes of books so like this is going to be the fight. The fight is going to be this. There's going to be literally 400 pages. They're going to be OK. All right. But you better like the guy he's fighting against. Most of the time I don't. The weirdest oh, thing no. about the weirdest thing about One Piece is like. It's really charming and weird when it's stupid, but then there's like cool, serious stuff going on, which becomes the focus, which is never interesting at all. There's all these like flamboyantly weird, ridiculous characters, and you're like, hell yeah. And then it's like, 
what if a guy was really strong and cool? And you're like, uh, I don't know, this guy sucks. And they're like, okay, well, here's his backstory and here's four to 500 pages of him fighting. And you're like, <laughs> cool, man. <laughs> Come on. I don't know if I needed this. <laughs> so, yeah. So I understand Harry Potter is just like that. And I'm going to read uh, that next pandemic. It's, it's a lot shorter um, than One Piece. <laughs> There's a lot less pirating. Um, you know, for better or for worse. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, I wouldn't say you should go ahead and read it if you're not a child. Um, yeah. If, if I, uh, if there's some kind of pandemic that neotenizes everybody and makes them children, I'll read it. That's yeah, the plan. That's a good idea. I mean, it's, it's fun either to read if you are a child or you're reading to a child. If you're <laughs> reading it as an adult, um, gotta say it's, uh, the plot holes are glaring. It yeah. like it, it took till book four for them to explain. And like, listen, like I'm not, I'm not like a oh, like this doesn't make any scientific sense. Like it's fine. Like these don't have to. But like the the world of Harry Potter involves like uh you know magic obviously, but all the magicians have like you know goofy like quill pens and stuff like that. Like they're living in 1564 and the best explanation before book four is basically like, Oh, but it's so cool to use like quill pens. And it's like, <laughs> no, it's not. Like it's, it's horrible to use. But you don't, no one wants to, why are you writing on like scrolls of parchment? What do you, and I, you know, of course annoyed my family by asking them this. I was like, why don't these people have computers? <laughs> seems like they could make use of computers. Like even if they're magic, um, and, you know, ultimately, uh, I'm right, but the, the answer was given in, like, by book four, they were like, oh, yeah, uh, th- this place is so magic that, uh, <laughs> that you know, it's impossible to, um, it's impossible to bring anything that's not magic here, because it screws it up. Oh, oh, you know. But, like, that, that kind of thing where you're, where you're reading it as an adult, you're like, oh, you didn't. This was re- this is really half baked. Like you did you did try. <laughs> well, yeah, man. <laughs> Sorry, I just I just getting it all out for you for when you read it next time. Um, next pandemic. Yeah, I think it's important that you know. How's how's it going? How's the book? You finished? Uh, uh yeah, no, it's done. I'm, I have to do proof. I have to uh, well, not proofreading, but I have to copy edit. Um. No, that's even not even true. I just have to read through the copy edits and make sure I don't have any um, – basically make sure I don't have any um, typos in there that I want them to fix, um, which is fine. I mean I, I went through the copy editing once before. It's really great. When you write a book, um, they go through and they make all your writing sound good. Um, oh, yeah. I, I got to admit, big, big fan of that. Um, that's nice. Yeah, um, I'm I'm making a comic with words in it for the first well not the first time but a long comic with words in it. And that's funny because you know, stylistically I, I try to make the characters you know, have grammatically incorrect speech so that it's natural, but lots of times I've shown that to people and they're like, "Oh yeah, this is wrong. This subject verb <laughs> Tense doesn't agree. And I'm like, yeah, it's just an idiot saying something. It's not a, (laughs) but that's, I mean, that's what you have to do when you're, when you're like, when you talk with, um, like when you talk with, uh, like anyone who is, uh, like a copy editor and you know, it's, it's not unfair 
Oh no, no, no. That's definitely that's uh, but also this is like me showing friends. It's like Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's not even I'm not even asking them for copy editing, but it's just gotten to the point where then I'm second guessing myself of like, wait, should I make things grammatically correct? And I was like, <laughs> I don't know. But I don't know, dude. Maybe not. When you're copy editing, considering you're writing about video games and stuff, do you have to like give them a sort of base sheet of what the names of like Final Fantasy fourteen expansions <laughs> are so they don't try to correct the weirdo names that you're giving In, them? Incredibly, like- we have not been – I have not – I didn't get much of that. Like there wasn't a lot of correction of those things. Um, are they like, Dissidia is not a word. Like you can't you can't use the words fate and walker or end and walker with the same that doesn't work like shadow bringers is not that's not how you say something christ Um, did did you see did you see uh, i is e3 or something is going on right now or something that's correct yes yes did you did you see what that new final fantasy looks like for christ no origins it there's one where like it's a guy who looks like a photorealistic Eminem guy wearing like Under Armour swinging a giant sword around. Mm, that sounds cool. It's not, man. And it's funny because like what? <laughs> it's funny because I'm like talking to you know a lot of people I know online are like five to ten years younger than me, mm-hmm. and like I, I think this I've, I've read one chapter of your book and I think this kind of dovetails with it. Uh, my conception of what Final Fantasy is is already like twenty years old. Like the Final right, Fantasy yeah. that I liked has not been made in two decades. So every time I see something like this, I'm like, oh man, I wish it was more like Final Fantasy, I don't know, fucking six, which is like almost 30 years old or something. Well, six was really the last one that did like everything. Like six six is the last one that was like, hey, let's do all the magic and like mugs and stuff like that. And then also we're going to make everyone cool and have armor. Um, yeah, that I don't know. It's just funny that like, that that Tetsuya Nomura style is just so like it it in and of itself feels really dated. Looking at it, it mm-hmm. looks like something from 2013. But uh, I guess that's just the wave. But the idea that things are supposed to look photorealistic, I wonder how that's tied into like you know games addiction to tech and tech advances because like it does not look good. It hasn't to me looked good in the last two decades that that's what they attempt for it's real real uncanny valley hours man like yeah and i think the other thing about it is like it's not even just that it's uncanny valley it's it's also that like the whole um the whole element of like uh i don't know like differences in games is really kind of frustrating uh, because ultimately, like, you're looking at the same games over and over and over <laughs> yeah, again, yeah, except yeah, that, yeah. like, you have to really hope the story's good this time. But the, the weirdest thing about, uh, like, you know, even as stylized, but with a sort of gesture at photorealism for characters, like, if it's in a fantasy world, it already throws things into a really weird situation where it's just kind of like semi-photorealistic people clothing then has to be sort of more realistic but then you're like putting them in a situation where they're walking around with like dragons and biomechanical shit and it's like it always looks wrong if one aspect <laughs> there has to be like some kind of overlying aesthetic for it to work and right at that well, yeah at, that seems like something a, a lesson that that generations of games have been learning for like i don't know since since 3d started and the fact that you still see new things you're like Instead of just trying to get 
every single hair follicle look good on a head, why don't you design a world? You know what I mean? And it's like maybe that's 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 probably a me argument because there's probably tons of people who look at whatever this new Final Fantasy thing is and be like, oh, it looks great. Like the graphics are better than ever, but like it is such a bummer, man. (laughs) Also, yeah. Also, considering like like, oh, like like the the sort of initial design documents for Final Fantasy games being these really beautiful and insane like uh, what's his name Amano Yoshitaka. Oh yeah, Yoshitaka Amano. The fact that they wouldn't be like, oh, now we have the technology to make a game world that looks like this. Yeah. Why they wouldn't go in that really weird, strange, impressionistic direction instead of just well, being because like, it's not a, it's not an, it's not a uh, it's not an easy. You know, it, it doesn't easily make the bottom line, right? Like, you can't say, like, this is going to sell yeah, know, yeah, 35 million copies or something. You, you can only say, like, well, this will be cool. Like, yeah, but I, look great. I wonder, I wonder, you know, since I've started making stuff myself that and none of my stuff sells very well, so I'm no judge of it. But, like, the sort of, like, this will sell thing seems to be, like, a, a self-fulfilling prophecy where... In the end, you get a bunch of just like gray goo. It's like the nano machines mm, of, mm. of of sort of like basic cultural uh, osmosis, where you know everything moves in one direction, and sadly, it doesn't look like anything. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. No, you're totally right. It's it's a. I mean, if you look at what the design looks like in in any of those Marvel films, like everything that isn't just a person in a costume is, is kind of like this gray morass. Like, you know what I yeah. mean? Like, no, it, like it exists, it exists within a, a, uh, it exists within a, a, a sort of green screen of ideas too. Yeah. But also I, I think so much of like, and no disrespect to tech people, but I, I think an idea, especially with computer graphics of like, what is possible leads to like design where people make as many shiny and moving parts as possible. Right. Which, yes. Yes. Which, which gives you no, as like, as a viewer gives you like no dynamic silhouette or field of color or anything to look at. It's just kind of like, Oh, there's a lot of moving parts on the screen all at once. You know yeah. And I, I guess mean? like what, what, what strikes me as strange, right. Is, is this idea that, is this idea that like, it would be easier somehow to make everything or like more, more compelling, well, no, easier is the right way. Like easier to make something sellable <laughs> by making a, a cohesive aesthetic that is realism, as opposed to like thinking back to something like Final Fantasy VI, where like you're looking at, you know, the, it, it's extraordinarily stylized, and the whole point is, well, everyone kind of looks stylized now. Like everyone yeah, yeah. looks like the humans look kind of different, and 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 so like it isn't weird that there are the the Moogles, and it isn't weird that like there are the that the 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 mecha don't look quite as big or like it looks kind of weird like everyone's already stylized that's how it works yeah i feel like the first time i really noticed that being a a weird thing in a final fantasy game you know going for realism in video games has been a problem since the beginning and it's funny that occasionally someone will put up like an old video game magazine cover from like you know like 1999 and it was like no this isn't a photograph this is this is the new Tomb Raider, and you look at it, and it's like got five polygons. You're like, "Yeah, don't worry, man. I, I didn't think that was a photograph. Don't, don't sweat it." But Sorry, like, my, my brain broke entirely. I thought that was a, a photograph. Weird. Like, <laughs> despite the realism, this is not. You're like so, but like I remember playing a Final Fantasy thirteen, and like 
just the kind of thing of being like, oh, yeah, the character's faces really move. Wow, that's real. But it's kind of weird, kind of uncanny valley. And it was like, yeah, and here's a chocobo just walking by. And you're like, okay, that looks fucked up. And it was like, oh, this guy. I don't like that that looks real. Why is that that emu here? (laughs) Or it didn't even look real. It just looked like, you know, it would just be like when the Muppets are hanging out with Vincent Price, like they are both actual objects in the world. Somehow a Muppet hanging out with Vincent Price looks realer than, you know, like uh, Thor punching a, a like mechanical demon or something. <laughs> well, again, like, I think, yeah, no, you're right. And it's also, and I think that's because, like, I think that's because, like, a lot of the, um, I think it's because, like, a lot of the, uh, the reason it looks so cool when Vincent Price is on screen with the Muppets is because Vincent Price, and this is like an obvious point, but like Vincent Price is also acting, right? Like yeah. he is acting in such a way that he is making the Muppets seem natural. Same thing with, um, uh, oh, uh, Charles Grodin, right? Um, like it, 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 those, uh, after he passed away, like everyone was pointing out those scenes. with oh, him and his piggy, yeah, right? dude. And he, that was great. I see. I, I didn't really know Charles Grodin that well, but that's funny in those scenes. He was so all in that, yeah. you know, he was playing it beyond playing it straight. He was playing it like hard that, yeah, that was good, man. Right. Yeah. And like, I think like that is what makes, that's what makes like the Muppets look seem interesting, right? Where it's like. Or not seem interesting, but seem real. Muppets well, are yeah. interesting on their own terms, but like it's what it's what makes it like, oh yeah, I believe that that Groden or or Price or whatever are talking to Miss Piggy. Um, well, you don't well, believe so I, it because like the Muppets are are so like you know catonic uh, uh, or something like yeah. that. You believe it because like the I mean maybe that is true, but it's also that the actors are just like they're helping you along in a way that you can't really do with a. Um, uh, with the you know the um CGI or like I, I mean I think video game, yeah. I think you can, but what what I think needs to happen is sort of there to be an art direction so that it has a cohesive whole or at least kind of exists on a plane that it makes sense. Like it's weird as hell to see footage from Roger Rabbit, which was like the 1980s, right? And they made it look as if people were interacting with cartoons, really. <laughs> In a yes. way, and they didn't have CGI. You can see like Coco the Clown cartoons from like the 1920s where they even pulled it off, you know? So like it's possible. I just think it's weird with technology. The focus, I think, is on a kind of uh, iterative we, – we've talked about this before. But like a sort yeah. of iterative possibility of technology and that it's like you don't stop to get to the basics being like, does this world make sense? Does this tie into the theme of the video game? It's just kind of like, nah, you know, like it's cool. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, right. Exactly. It like, it can be, it can be cool. Like where it could be like, yeah, I don't know. Well, exactly what you said. Wait, you didn't see, you never saw Twin Peaks, the return, did you? Yeah, I just, didn't know. Yeah. I, one, um, one thing I love about that is he uses a lot of effects that are very low quality and not this generation of technology, which somehow work so much better i mean there (laughs) no spoilers because this will be so abstract but there is a thing that shows up that's basically a shape that is just like him moving an image of a mirrored ball around that's not catching any of the reflections in the room but how weird it looks actually fits and works you know for that reason it's it's a little like um, and maybe we talked about this when you were on last. Like this this might actually be the example I brought up because it's, it's one that always comes to mind. Is uh, it, it reminds me of the um, 
the cabinet of um, Dr. Dr. Caligari. Caligari. No, yeah. but I, I love that. Yeah. 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 We're like, you look at, you look at Caligari and like the whole, I mean, it, it goes along with the sort of like contemporary and I, I feel it too. Like I'm not making fun of people for this, but like the contemporary sort of nostalgia for painted um, backdrops. Right. Yeah. Um, like, you know, like you look at like something from, I don't know, like Indiana Jones or Ghostbusters or something. And they're like, this is all painted. Um, that's cool. Like, it's neat. Like, it, it's, it's, it's a very neat technology. And I wish we still did that more. But like the the um, I think like with Caligari, what we see is this like really impressionistic. I mean, if you if anyone if anyone's listening and haven't seen it in Caligari, it's an extraordinarily impressionistic approach wherein like the buildings in the background are painted, but they they are they're like taller than the characters. They're they're sort of like abstract and weird, like taller than the characters in a way that shouldn't make sense. Yeah, the buildings also, are of course taller than characters. The but. perspective is is purposely fake and makes no sense. And even there's right. paint there's painted shadows in the background that bend in ways that make no sense. Like Correct. Yeah. And it it is it is a it's 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 an approach that really works because all of the like the the the, the movie itself is so kind of like um expressionistic and 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 owns that that sense of um strangeness and 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 um I don't know, overwhelming sort of like uh, shadow and presence. Um, and it wouldn't work in other movies, but it works because the whole movie commits to it. And, and and that's kind of it, right? Where like there's a way that Caligari feels realer in its setting than something like, I don't know, like uh, – I don't want to say Scream because Scream actually kind of – Carpenter <laughs> – or uh, not Carpenter, um, uh, uh, Craven does Scream actually in a pretty interesting way with setting. Uh, something like – I don't know, like any sort of like contemporary horror movie that's trying to do like, you know, either brutality or spookiness or something like that. There's a lot of them, right? Or like trying to be like highbrow or something. There's yeah. always like an approach to it that is that wants to, you know, really get you invested in the aesthetics. And it doesn't work because the aesthetic is just aesthetics well, th- in that's the same a- way that aesthetics in video games are just realism. That's that's what's funny to me about like well first of all Caligari is one of those things that I, I I never knew about and then the first time I saw it I was like oh my god I've been looking at shit that's been ripping this off my whole life. <laughs> it's a really good example of that. It's un- yeah, unbelievable. I, this is from that, this yes. is from 1920 or something and like it's been like almost a century of people ripping this off that. You know, like it's not like you're going to sit down and watch Caligari and be like, "That's the best movie I ever saw." I mean, the standout is the aesthetic more than anything else. Like, it's it's very dated. It's 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 a early. It's silent, right? It's a silent film. Yeah, right. I think so. I think I think it's probably from the twenties. It's German, but yeah, that see, that's the thing. I I always there there these sort of truisms when people tell you about telling stories or creating a world or something that you need to have a sort of normalcy to it or you ha- you need to have like an audience surrogate and you also have to have like a normalcy that people recognize, especially if you're going to do something strange, which is like those two truisms I hear repeated all the time. I've never <laughs> felt as true yeah, in any of yeah. the stuff that I like. And I, I don't know what, I don't know what the example is for that. Like, Luke Skywalker or some shit like, <laughs> but also Luke Skywalker lives on a desert planet and you know whatever like has magical powers. So the fact that he's an audience surrogate doesn't even make any sense. But yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's it is like um, I feel like this is sort of like the the idea of um, inherited knowledge, 
right? Where like uh, you you have you have things that you just like you accept as true um, in art or or media or literature or whatever. Where like someone has said at some point in the world, yes, like this means uh, you know the only way you can write a play is with a with a consistency of uh, setting or like you know one way or the other, right? And at certain points in time, these like these uh, these um, uh, truisms are, are challenged or whatever, but like, I don't feel like they, I don't feel like the truisms in, I don't know. Like, I don't feel like the truisms in like video games and stuff or, 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 um, film in, in this moment in time are ever particularly, um, challenged. Like the idea that like, you know, a, a game needs to have like dissonance, uh, writ large to be an art game. I don't think that's true. Well, it's also <laughs> funny that I feel like, you know, we're in a time of we're in a time of like tons of people repeating daily what the rules to art is <laughs> unchallenged yeah, yeah. so much so that I think people's identities are based in that. I like, you know, and it's funny because like there are so many that after a while you're like, oh, they're not actually talking about any specific works of art. This is just like an identity. <laughs> you know yeah, I mean? yeah, exactly. exactly which is which exactly. is funny, but like, yeah, I used to like back in the day on Tumblr. It was cool. I feel like I've talked about this. Like Tumblr has a very bad name now, but like the sort of comics community, there was a lot of really good shit going on on Tumblr. But you know, yeah, for sure, you would see all of these sort of like how to draw things that were just arbitrary choices like arbitrary choices <laughs> like an eye looks like this never like this and it was like to you know show you how to draw kind of in like a modern pixar way or something and it was just arbitrary and i'd be like you know and because it was social media you could see that it had like uh, one billion likes and retweets it'd be like are people are are people like internalizing these totally arbitrary rules of what good art is and then you'd go and look at the page of the person who made it and all they did was just make those how-to things. So it was like already a level of kind of like, you know, not cosplay, but that's just like what they do. That, that's yeah, their right. thing. So it was just so funny that it was like, for a split second, I was going to be like, yo, eyes can look like anything. If you're drawing a cartoon and not like trying to get literal photorealistic, like do whatever you want. But then I looked at it and I was like, oh no, this is a whole world of just people who do how-tos and share them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, no, it, it, it's also like, it also is that that whole sense of, um, it's that whole idea of like, um, you know, whatever is most popular, and this this is going to sound like a dumb complaint, but like whatever's most popular, right, is 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 considered to be the most true. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, and we're in a really weird time of that right now because I feel like at least every two weeks some kind of sort of like culture writing comes out that's like, you know what, uh, Disney films are actually good and you can be fine with that and stop being a dick about it. And it's like <laughs> you don't need to write those pieces anymore. Like you guys have won. You don't have to be a sore winner about that. You know what yeah, I mean? Like yeah. whether, whether Disney – Movies and Marvel movies are good or not doesn't matter. Like you've won. Like <laughs> you don't have to. You don't have to fight the haters in the ivory tower who aren't letting you in. Like you're trying to get into the ivory tower writing that. Like right, right. And yeah, I, I, I mean, like I feel like years ago when I was on here, I was telling you a story about how like 
we were trying to kick Amazon out of like a small press expo because Amazon was underwriting the whole thing, but also people still had to pay to get in and everything. And it was like, you can't make a deal with the devil and not also have to pay the devil. Like, and then it was just funny because there was all this cultural pushback that people were starting to like Bernie bro, anybody who was opposed to Amazon being involved and either acting like it was like white dude broism or people being jealous of success to defend <laughs> Amazon. And I was telling you that people were taking a like culturally progressive pretend attitude to defend Amazon. And you were kind of like gobsmacked at the time. Like, how could right. they get away with it? I was like, they can't, but they're trying. Like, you know, what I, mean? Like, <laughs> it, I mean, it's but it's true, though, where like all you have to do is reframe it goes back to what we were talking about in terms of like aesthetics and, and, and making choices and and that being underwritten as something that's like, well, of course, like the ideal in digital art is realism or, well, of course the ideal in animation is to make things look like um, either like if it's, if it's the mid nineties, it's going to look like a certain kind of anime or if it's today, it's going to look like Steven universe. Like, you know, the, the, the kind of like homogenization of art into one thing is also the way that you get Amazon being like cool and woke because like you just say you just say like well look like it it, it that's that's success and 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 a kind of like othering of the market or like it, it's a sort of disruption like that's what we have to do as artists like we have to start thinking like Amazon instead of against it like it, it's a way of sort of like making expression into like kind of like this striver mentality. Oh, which well, yeah. And I mean, it's, it's totally happened. And like the weirdest thing about it is if you're on social media, which we all are as a way to promote your work, you start internalizing it. And like, you know how many people I've had conversations with about like how to beat the algorithm and get your shit seen on like Instagram or whatever. And it's like, after a while it's, you know, it just makes me, you know, the algorithm more than anything we start serving the algorithm by acting like it. You know what I mean? Like, oh, God, do you remember, like, God, maybe it was three or four years ago, there were all of those weird YouTubes being made that were just seemed like Mad Libs. It would just be like. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Like the Elsa uh, dental yeah, like stuff. El yeah. Elsa dental surgery, Mr. Bean gummy worm shit. Right. The weirdest right. thing about that is, like, obviously that wasn't made by a rogue AI. That was made by people. Like, you know. That's how it is. <laughs> right. Most yeah. of the time when they're like, oh, there are bots doing this, there's probably somebody in, you know, Lagos or, or part of Indonesia being paid nothing to do a thing. But the weirdest thing about when that happened, there was a tack on thing that to sort of beat that algorithm, people who make videos started making their own Elsa dental surgery. You know what I mean? Right. Yes. So like, so like people saw that that was a thing that was flooding it and then the reaction was to make start thinking like this sort of weirdo mad lib thing themselves and like that scared the hell out of me you know yeah no i, I you know like i think I, I don't know like i think there's a the the line between and you know this is actually probably another topic but like there's a line between um like outsider art and um 
art that's meant to look like outsider art, but be it good enough to put on a t-shirt. Like, I feel like there's like, there's cool outsider artists who do t-shirts too. Like, I, and I don't think, I don't think like a, a bone jail, Rory, uh, Rory, who like I, I mentioned, Rory Blank, who I mentioned on the oh, podcast. Rory's, a lot, like, Rory's no outsider, man. He's, no, he would never say he's an outsider artist, but I think like. He's the top. I, he's the, he's the top of the academy. He's, he's like, great. He's wonderful. Um, but I think like I think there are people out there who would take aesthetics like that, right? And just like be like, okay, what is outsider art? It's dirty, it's violent, it's messy, it doesn't make sense. Oh yeah. I um, mean, and then like slap it on a t shirt and sell it. And I think like it's funny because I've I've watched that be I've watched that get consumed by by just total mainstream, at least through like four cycles of my life. Like, you know, like I don't know, the 1990s, there was a time when everything, we joke about like the extreme and edge and all that shit, but it was just like everything was broken typewriter font and blood spray and shit. And it would just be like, you know, a tampon ad that would just be like, you know, like (laughs) somebody on a skateboard, like ollieing over like a burning trash can and it would say school sucks in the background or something. You'd be like, oh, that's a tampon ad, you know, like, yeah. Maybe maybe, like, maybe tampon ads weren't doing that, but you know what I mean. <laughs> somewhere, yeah, no, and those were the good tampons to buy. That's the thing. Uh, no, it's you know, the, the, I think like the the other thing about it is like you see, so the the um, Outer Worlds uh, came out with their their sequel trailer, right? Yo, I, yo, hold on, I just want to interrupt. I don't know if this is this is an unsubstantiated thing, but somebody was telling me that one of the main writers for the Outer Worlds is a real Warren guy. Oh really? And that one of wouldn't the, shock me. One of the best endings you can get in Outer Worlds is is a fifteen percent wealth increase, tax increase. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. I like it. so I I wasn't big into Outer Worlds, and part of that was because I had an idea of what it was going to be, and then you know I, by by various means found out it wasn't going to be that, and it's like okay, well I'm not super interested. And I, the dumbest reason I, I didn't give it a chance. Let me be clear: the absolute dumbest reason I didn't give it a chance is because I loved and and still love and think it is exactly the antidote to everything we're talking about now in a brilliant, kind of perfect game, uh, Outer Wilds. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought you were going to say something else because what I got excited about initially about uh, Outer Worlds because they were like, yeah, this is all the New Vegas people, all the New Vegas, right? People yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the more you heard about it, be like, is it going to be like New Vegas? They're like, no, not at all. And it was like, <laughs> oh, okay, then what the fuck, man? Um, yeah, no, no. I think like I think like the the um, yeah, I think like the um, the thing about Outer Worlds was it, it really was kind of like this tame satire, right? Like something that could be acceptable. Um, well, it's just funny because the the way. You know, at the very beginning, the way they were pitching it was just sort of about like hell capitalism in space, which you know we're we're living. So the fact that you know, like <laughs> the, the last years that we've been living through, what it's just kind of like you have to work to get bathroom credits. It's like yeah, there's like there's a they're making that a law in Minnesota right now. So actually, they made that a law in Minnesota last year. You know what I mean? Like that level of life. right, yeah. Yeah, and like I, I think like uh, I think like the you know the 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 elements of outer worlds that work are of course like the ones where they're are the ones that are just like low low hanging fruit where like you get um, you, you see like even in games like um, games that I don't think are very good like uh, uh, um, 
see, I'm already forgetting the name. Uh, it just came out with a third one that I played like 10 minutes of and never played again. Uh, Borderlands. Oh. Um, the Borderlands games. Like, not, I'm not a big fan of those. I don't, I don't like the story and the writing. Um, but, but like, I think like, um, I think the, you know, the, um, the elements of, of outer worlds that work are the same things that happen there. Right. Where like it, it is, it's this sort of like light analysis of the world you live in where, you know, you say something like, well, it's, it's a shame uh, that we have to send all of you up here, but uh, we don't care about pro- we don't care about people. We care about profits. And it's like, well, can they say that out loud? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, but it's also funny because I don't know, like everything now people have decided that people things have a very superficial political valence and have my whole life, but there's a certain tone to it now, which is hilarious because like, I don't know, it, it's easier to see in like older art and older work. Like, I don't know, like my whole life I had heard about how important the movie easy rider is, you know what I mean? And I, yeah, easy rider is interesting aesthetically. And there's like some really good performances unhinged performances, but like Jack Nicholson and Dennis Hopper and whatnot. But it's a dumb fucking movie. Like, <laughs> it, it's stupid. The main characters are kind of stupid, but it kind of has this thing like heavy man. And like sort of late 60s, early 70s mode where like what I'm saying is really important, man. Like that kind of thing. And being in a like a sort of more removed age, you're like, oh, okay. Uh, you know, this is taking itself seriously on one level, which to me feels really superficial. But I, I like this as a work because, you know, it. It actually does capture something about the age, but yeah, yeah, I guess that's the thing, right? But, but like, there, are, there are also things from the seventies, especially that pretend to have a sort of a political bent that absolutely have none whatsoever. And it's right. funny that I'm thinking that you know something like ninety nine point nine percent of all of the art being shoveled out now. When, yeah, I think like probably the, from some, a remove of like five years, you'll just be like, oh my god! Yeah. Like it's even funny that it's like you know. I don't know. All the, all of the biggest mainstream things where people are like, actually, this one's really political, and you see it, and you're like, uh, all the good guys are CIA. Okay, all right, <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, I, I think like I think like the the I don't know. Like it, it feels like when you get something like Easy Rider, that's a dumb, dumb movie, but like still says something about the age. It's because like it's actually speaking sincerely about the age. It's writing. It's like talking yeah. about. Yeah, as I'm opposed to something about, like. like the tone, the tone is like, this is some important shit, y'all. And then like, yeah. Nah. But everything, everything that's important isn't the stuff they're pointing to. I think yeah. like the, the, the reason that like a lot of stuff like Outer Worlds, and I, I promise I wasn't even planning on talking about Outer Worlds. This is, this sort of dovetails into another uh, discussion. But like the thing about Outer Worlds is like, it's this game where, or the thing about, yeah, Outer Worlds is this thing. It's like, it's a game where you it's never actually earnestly telling its story about space. It's always telling it through like a half grin where it's like, Oh, this is space. And uh, guess what? The corporations hate you up here. Like, it's like, it's like a, it's like a, a version of the, of the whole meme where they're like, "Whoa, I just watched the alien movie and uh, Wayland Yutani is way more evil than the aliens. And like the idea that you could miss that, like it's yeah. I mean, yeah. Oh, Christ. I, I absolutely do not want to talk about this. But one of the funny things about playing cyberpunk, 
amongst and I do not want to talk about cyberpunk, but you played fun, cyberpunk. The yeah. funniest the funniest Brutal. thing about cyberpunk was the conception of what corporations were in the 1980s as sort of these pretty solid gigantic monoliths. Right. They are even more monolithic in our age, but their presentation and how they function in culture and society is not as like these giant skyscrapers, these giant heavy things. It's like they're in your fucking life. Like the worst thing about corporations now is that they're like a liquid. They're like a fog that flows around. you. Like they're like a stain in everything that you do. So to see this sort of thing, like what if you looked across a skyline and it was just like giant corporations and their logos everywhere is like, yo, I got the corporations and logos like in everything I do much smaller and more intimately. Like it's weird to be aesthetically seeing a fear from like 40 years ago. Yeah. That, that, that the reality here is so much worse. You know what I mean? Like, I, and it's so funny to, to see corporations sold or not sold shown that way in a work is, is an act of nostalgia because like the reality that we're in now is so much crazier than what they were forecasting then. Well, yeah. yeah. And of course, like, because that, that's because the, you know, the, the genre of cyberpunk became a genre wherein like same thing with outer wilds where like the genre of sort of like aware sci-fi became a genre where it's not really critiquing actually existing conditions. It's critiquing, it's it, it's it's riffing on a genre, yeah, but genre yeah. fiction only works when it's like or works best when it's not political, right? Not that's the wrong way of saying it. When the genre itself, the convention itself, doesn't have anything to do with its politics, yeah. right? If you have to grapple with something about a genre's politics, make it like okay, like I'm writing a genre, I'm writing a genre novel about cops, and I hate cops. How am I going to manage this? That's interesting. I'm writing a genre novel about like wacky capitalist um overreaches uh that i have noticed in the like the beginning of the 1980s that like that genre exists now but it's always going to be like you're always going to get the same hacky ending you're never going to actually like draw out something kind of interesting from from using the genre well because it makes me think then those genre tropes are not at all about expressing anything and if they were once about capturing the feeling or or the fears of a time they become a sort of like comfort they're more a comfort of the trading of the trope than it having any meaning which you know is is fine but it's just funny that like to live in the world that the 1980s was afraid afraid we were making and like yeah we made it we're here now like it's (laughs) it's it's like you know it's like i don't know it's it's funny it's funny you know because like during the pandemic Every, we all know everything that's wrong, but during the pandemic, it was just full on fucking mask off on everything. Yeah. And like to the point of no denial to the point that like the basic cultural discourse we have now feels like, I don't know, just feels like, like some sort of little like pantomime show going on that you kind of buy into for comfort as well. Like (laughs) to, to care about like critical race theory now is to take part in a fucked up pantomime that has nothing to do with the actual material realities are involved in, or, or, you know, like to get mad at, I don't know, just not even the hateful shit that Trump was saying, just like the corny shit, like being like, so it was just funny for all of that to be going on. That just, 
I don't know. I'm going in a dark direction. Fuck it. No, uh, no. But I, I think, <laughs> but I think there's like a there's a there's a way of like there's a way of understanding this too with like well, what we were talking about, where like the the point isn't that like the point isn't that like the the genre refuses to to consider those things, right? It, it's that like. The genre has taken as red this the, this is how you do it in the same way that all the aesthetic stuff we were talking about before takes as red that you do novels like or comics like this or well, games it, like this or music just, like this right like it makes me think that like you know things will always be tied to their time and be about their time in a way that is important and you know in a time when everything is just a superficial with the very reason for art existing as a superficial sort of like ad point, it makes stuff that is about nothing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I didn't yeah. expect to get this serious this quick in, but uh... no, no, it's important. Like, I think, I think the, I think the, um, you know, I think the point about all this is, is basically that like it, I don't know, like it, it just kind of like, hmm. I think like and I'm not pessimistic like this. I think you're right, right? Like that every everything is going to present a uh, present some reading of its time at some point in in history. Right? Like it's going to be impossible to read the um, it's going to be impossible to read like stuff that came out in 2021 outside of the um, outside of the uh, uh, context of 2021 in the same way that it's impossible to watch See, Easy not, Rider without thinking about the I'm, 70s. I'm not, I'm not totally saying that because I think there are things that, that are timeless and end. Because I, I know people who have gone the opposite direction of sort of like arguing that the only way to understand one thing is from one cultural reading once. And it's like, yeah, I don't know. You can, I don't know. There are so many things that transcend the time that they're in. Hence, we have a sort of cultural history. But yeah. like, it's just funny to me that, you know, I, 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 my whole life I've been deeply interested in things that are quote unquote pop culture that like the idea that it being a popular medium that you're into, whether it's like comics or movies or video games, you know, like, but the f getting to a time of totally weird and I'm not just saying like, oh damn, all these reboots, so unimaginative, but like, right. I think something that comes with the fact that we have no new art or all the art we have and all of the new faces we have and all of the excitement we have are things that are predicated on being old things so they can sell is it's got to do something culturally. Like it, it bums me out because like the other day I saw a bunch of people being like, yo, new cowboy bebop live action. And it's like, yeah, man, it's going to fucking suck. Like guaranteed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, no. And like, this was this was one of the things where like I, I was just talking about this with uh, with Andrew. Like uh, the you know like the Cowboy Bebop live action. It's like it's freeing when you realize you don't have to care about that. Right? Oh yeah. But the thing but is, like the thing is I the thing is I'm not even getting mad as like a nerd being protected. No, no. And, and clearly, yeah. You're just saying like it's going to be stupid. It's just <laughs> funny that that you would take something like Cowboy Bebop is necessarily an animation and its animation is so dynamic and so full of life, so full of character. And that's why it's a quote unquote IP for them to reboot. Right. You know what I mean? It would be like, it would be like getting a plate of dishes based on a dance. It's like, all right, like shit does not translate, but thank you. I guess I'll get the <laughs> fucking stanky leg on my plate. Like what the fuck? You know what I mean? 
I mean, I think like so like I think the the thing the thing to to point out about this is like, you know, uh, there's a fear that I've noticed from people, especially on Twitter, which of course is not you know it's it's risky to read any sort of. Um, <laughs> Yo, that's not real life. Has anyone well, ever it, told you that's not real life? It's not. They're right. As, as if much you, as I hate to admit and it. And also, if you if you think uh, there are any political systems that are better, I got to tell you, Twitter's not real life. Oh, you think oh, everyone yeah, well, should have health care? Get off Twitter. Idiot. In that case, Twitter <laughs> is real. It's tough. It, it, there's times when it isn't. Um, but, that's just that double bind of like, I'm always like, yeah, Twitter's not real life. And then I see the people hitting it the hardest and I'm like, you motherfuckers. That's oh, yeah. Doing. Okay. So I can't like Palestine. Okay. Twitter's real life now. Um, but yeah, I think like, um, you know, I think like the, the uh, you know, like the, the thing I've seen on, on Twitter a lot is like a concern is – it's this fear that like now we're in this age where there will never be culture again because we have this repeated sort of like drag at the top. And I, I think on, on some level, like there's a way that like, yeah, I I get the fear because it's like, Oh God, like we don't have double a games or like middle brow cinema anymore or whatever. But on the other hand, it's also this, like, I think it's also recognizing this fact that the media of today is really like, willing to take the political media of 20 years ago unlike you know in, in a way that i think other eras have not necessarily been willing to in the mainstream and redo that as well see which the, is the, like kind of different the thing i'm afraid of is is not that there's no new culture the thing is i know people who are actively making really exciting new culture the problem is the way to communicate that culture the fact that we live in a time where like subculture which is already a loaded thing and represents time and place and ways of mediated communication subculture doesn't exist in the way that it used to and if anything we have subcultures that are connected to major corporate held culture so there are people doing amazing shit the problem about it is the forum we have to show it is the ultimate corporate forum where it will probably get swallowed up or not yeah. seen. And also in a weird way, you know, I'm not trying to say these kids in their damn phone, we live in a society type shit. But like, I think because I've seen it happen, the way that like culture is mediated on the internet, actually, both as somebody who makes art and somebody who enjoys it, it actually trains you in a way to not see things that are on <laughs> that are different. Both, both by literally not showing you via algorithm, but also by the fact that, like, there are so many artists I know who are younger than me that I have tried to argue with them, like, you don't have to do a meme. Like, you don't have to, you don't have to draw a meme every day to get right. people looking at you because the odds are the people who are clicking like and retweet on a meme are not going to also love your personal stuff. In fact, you're taking part in a thing to kind of push your own profile up, but that doesn't necessarily lead to real uh, readership or people who enjoy or understand your work, which, you know, like I'm not somebody who has an army of people who uh, understand and read my work, but like still, I know a lot of people who have given themselves like a third or fourth job making memes, you know, and they're yeah. all younger than me and they're more socialized on, on the internet than I am. Uh, but it's so, also like, like, I think like, I think there's a, there's a feeling, you know, you have to, you have to be able to, so like here's here's here I'll do it I'll do both. Here's the pessimism. The pessimism is I see people like um, I mean you in this in this uh, case, but also like Casey Green is kind of like the ultimate 
version of this, right? Where like the it, you know this is fine dog has just become like something that you know like Jen Psaki will tweet or something like that, <laughs> like just like a nightmare for the guy, like yeah, just yeah. like he doesn't like it, he's like irritated <laughs> by it, like and rightfully so, like it's just like it doesn't make him any money. Yeah, sure, he could sell merch, but no one wants to buy merch of a meme. Like it, it's like it's awful for him. And like thinking about that, right, is rough because it's like, oh yeah, like that's that's one way that art goes when all we're looking for is memes. It, it you know, your your most popular thing gets picked up and then turned into you know either either benign and irritating, like this is fine dog, or um, do actually is puzzle hound, but no one knows that, <laughs> or uh, you know, it's, it's, it's Pepe, right? Like it's, it's, well, it's Matt that's Fury the, that's the and that's extreme. the other version. Yeah, right. Yeah. And so like, that's, that's my pessimism. And my optimism is that maybe this is like people watching, um, I mean, this is like people watching, uh, what happened when, you know, you switch the, to, you know, the zine counterculture or like disposable counterculture in the in like the the 60s right or like maybe when you sort of like move on to sort of more aggressive modern art with like uh duchamp or or like uh, installation art or just like uh you know fast forward to the 80s with like serrano or something like that right like the the there's a way of thinking about this where you're like well look like maybe these people making the art now who can do memes and are okay living in that world can make disposable garbage that actually is like f- interesting and says something like maybe they can work in that. No. Meme. And I mean, I don't know which I believe more. That, that's the, the, the fact of the matter is I love making stupid drawings with my friends on the internet and, and just like abstract jokes and sharing them with other people and whatnot. Like that is one of the great parts of culture. The thing that freaks me out about like, I don't know. I, we've talked about this a million times, but like, I think the fact of the matter is we still have the net utopian ideal laying over the fucking cutthroat ultimate corporate space reality of what the internet became. So like this, like, yeah, just share everything. And if people like it, you know, people like it and that'll lead. And it's like all of those weirdo aggregator scumbags, like the fuck Jerry's of the world and the people who just steal other people's art. Like you're not going to like this week's ad. (laughs) (laughs) We'll be right back. (laughs) (laughs) hi folks have you ever had the nagging suspicion that your hairline is retreating on you ever get curious about why it suddenly feels so breezy up there well father time comes for us all and when you think he might be coming for your hair get him out of there with keeps yes friends keeps a revolutionary new treatment for male pattern baldness and hair loss that when used at the first signs of balding allows you to keep that beautiful head of hair full and firm Best of all, you can use Keeps from the comfort of your own home. Simply visit one of their doctors online and have a prescription mailed to the convenience of your own home. Every three months you'll get more, and if you're worried about the price, don't! Keeps uses a generic version of hair loss medicines and passes the savings on to you. A new price for a new you starting at $10 a month. But don't forget to act soon because the key to Keeps is prevention, not regrowth. Save that head of hair, friend, before it goes away, and save it today with a special offer code by going to www.keeps.com slash Hegelbon. That's www.keeps.com slash H-E-G-E-L-B-O-N. 
Go there and receive your first month free and tell them Hegelbahn sent you. But I'm just saying those people steal people's work and monetize it, whereas the people who make the work don't, which is kind of that follows uh, a way that art and money has existed in capitalism forever. But like, I'm just worried that that's the reality, you know. But anyway, yeah. I want to talk to you about uh, a million other things because. <laughs> oh yeah, sure. No, we got we got the serious stuff up uh, out the way. That's good. I wanted um, to, yeah, because I listened to uh, the last one you did. Well, I don't know if it's the last one. Well, first of all, I wanna I wanna um, challenge challenge Sean McTiernan. Whoa. To, to Irish music off. No, I'm just joking. I told oh, him I not told a him, good idea. I told him I was going to be his rival in traditional Irish music and uh, show him up, but. I of course don't know any, but <laughs> you just can you can sing "I Ain't Fuckle Isle" uh, on the uh, show. I'd be yeah. I'd the be only song it. I know that's Irish is an IRA song, and I don't really remember why I know it, and that might get you canceled. Mm-hmm. But uh, <laughs> yeah, the, listen, I mean, you not knowing it is the real problem. <laughs> but an IRA song you can sing, that's fine. Okay, no, I'm not going to go into it. I can't do an Irish accent. But uh, yeah, no, I wanted to talk to you about detective fiction because. I was thinking that that one you did where you're talking about Twin Peaks and mm-hmm. the Silver Case. I never played the Silver Case. Oh, you should play the Silver Case. What it is, is it um, on? Is it on anything? It, you like can get Houston? it on Steam. And it, it's on PlayStation 4 and Steam okay. and Switch. But I would just get it on Steam. It's it's easy enough. And, like, I, you know, you don't have to have a good computer to play it. It's a it's a visual novel. Yeah. Um, it, it sounded cool. And, you know, like, I'd never played it. But I, what I was just thinking about is, like, Years and years ago, when I was a different person than the person you know now, I was thinking about uh, writing something about detective fiction for like a, a graduate school. <laughs> oh yeah, sure. But uh, my thesis was pretty half baked, and I was going from like the sort of incorrect assumption that uh, "Murders in the Rue Morgue" by Edgar Allan Poe was the first. With, you know, some people anecdotally say that that's the first locked locked room murder mystery, and in a way, is kind of one of the things that kicked off the idea of detective fiction. As a it's kind of interesting, yeah, I, I guess so. I mean, it it also it. I mean, I can see why you'd say like maybe that's not the case because like yeah, of course it's not the case. I mean, like once you start looking into it, they're like, no, detective fiction shows up in the Thousand and One Nights of Scheherazade. Detective fiction shows up in ancient Chinese mythos. You know, like I mean, you could you could maybe argue that it's the first kind of like instance of what we recognize as contemporary detective fiction, well, or at the reason, least the locked the locked room, which the, is the absolutely the first. I was going to argue that it was like the first sort of instant of, of detective fiction is because like, I don't know. I, I don't know when the last time you read it or if your listeners ever had, but it's, it's, it's uh, Edgar Allan Poe story where there's a locked room. Murder. Watch out. Deacon's going to have to tell you who did it and in order to make it interesting. It was the monkey. It was the a, monkey. It did was it. an orangutan. I love, I love that Edgar Allan Poe came like, did a locked door, did a locked room uh, story in like a very, I mean, it is like, it is sort of like unpolished Christie um, in the way that like the locked room totally works. Uh, and it's like, okay, yeah, you got that. You did it right. And it's just like, so what's your solution? It's like a monkey escaped from the zoo and climbed down a chimney. <laughs> no, 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 like, no. The oh, monkey, no. The monkey, The okay, so there was a guy in a room. He was a sailor who had traveled all around the world and at some exotic port like Borneo or something, he picked up an orangutan. And <laughs> he used to 
shave all the time and his monkey would watch him shaving in the mirror and try to help. And if I'm remembering correctly, the monkey, uh, yes, monkey no, slit right. his throat and climbed out the window. But that's not even the focus of what I was focusing on. I can't remember his name, but the main character in uh, Murders in the Room work is this guy who can tell the the basic setup of like a Holmes or like a William of Ockham or whatever can basically tell everything that has happened by just looking at details. You know what I mean? He has that... I don't even know how to pronounce this word. Ratiocination, you know, like uh, uh, radiocination. Radiocination. He can he can look around and basically put together the observable world into order, and then it makes an order and a sense of the world. And in it, you know, it also because it's Poe, it has this weird kind of sadness to that character because even when he can make order of the world, it's still a fucked up world where monkeys are murdering people <laughs> right yes so yeah and that i mean that's like that's the much more interesting it's a much more interesting element right where like um like of poe where like it, it's not about the mystery and it's not about the locked room it's about like just the the utter madness uh <laughs> but, epistemology that that exists in this world but it's also it's also interesting because all of those pieces come together to like i i don't think the story like not even would not the story working on a mechanical way, but like the story necessarily has to have all of those parts to it. So you get this long intro- introduction to this character who's like the narrator's friend who can figure everything out. And then if I remember correctly, my argument was going to be that the fact that it's an orangutan is sort of like on purpose thematically that it was sort of like the primitive shadow of man is still there or something. Mm-hmm. And I remember saying that and someone was like, yeah, but you know, like there was no, you know, like the theory of evolution came out 10 years after this. So you can't, <laughs> you can't argue that. I was like, no, at the same time, they're like, no, no, no. Poe was dead by the time that came out. I was like, oh shit. Okay. <laughs> well, I think I see. But, you, but anyway, if you, had, if you had stayed in uh, at graduate school long enough, you would have realized you would have been, Canny enough. The, the the next move you learn is, oh well, okay. It's not about evolution, but it's about the the similarity between monkeys and people, and well, the the, that was, the ability to see our bestial past uh, as 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 savages in it. So that was my my setup, though. The main thing that I ended up wanting to go into is like, you know, so you have characters like that. You have characters like Holmes, who like most of the time the reader. All those Sherlock Holmes books aren't whodunit kind of books because, like, Holmes notices things that you, the reader, do not notice or that the narrator mm-hmm. doesn't notice. So, like, there's always a fact that he's putting together shit that you couldn't possibly know. But it still is showing a world that is knowable, even with chaos, even with the idea of of ghosts and otherworldly things. There is still this knowable and figure-outable world, right? Right. And then and then by like the turn of the 20th century, you get all this other weird stuff that is kind of of the same popular detective fiction. But it goes into the direction of like, uh, I don't know how to pronounce his name, Mabuse, Mabus in Germany, Der Spieler. The, oh, yeah. There's a movie about him. I've, I've never read any of it because it's never been in English. And then in France, you get like Fantoma. Which, like, I'm more interested in Fantoma because you can read Fantoma, in which it's like love Fantoma. The wait, the, the 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 pulp comic with the thief. Oh, it no, it's it was a pulp comic, but it was also a, a book series. And and the oh, weird, lovely. 
the weirdest thing about Phantomas, it's sort of like still a knowable world and a world where you can figure out why evil works, but at the top of it with like unlimited resources and probably at the top of society is one evil man whose identity will never be known, can change his identity all the time, can do whatever he wants. <laughs> and the weirdest thing about Phantom is like the people hunting him start putting on masks to try to get to him. So there's like this sort of dissolution of, of, of identity in even trying to fight evil. Like there's a, the, one of the books, there's a character who's like this beautiful maid who's just around in this thing. And then the maid takes off her wig and you figure out it's, a dude who in the last book Phantom Hawk killed his parents and he's been like disguised as a maid to like get into this place. The <laughs> maid can't be happy about that. But it's also funny because it 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 kind of it oh hello are you muted? <laughs> that was supposed to be <laughs> I'm gonna keep that in. That was supposed to be real cool of me because like I needed to cough. Oh. There was a large <laughs> there was a there was a real but loud saw... sound and it muted. <laughs> there was a loud sound? Yeah. Oh like see. A... Oh, that shouldn't have happened because I, I muted. Wow, if that's what if that's what muting sounds like, I'm never doing it again. Oh, maybe it only showed up in my headphones. Anyway, the, the point I wanted to make is it's just <laughs> it's just funny that the idea of the the knowable world and the detective figuring out crime goes through this change, which like Phantom Mob was right before the breakout of World War One. So culturally, the fact that at the top of society and the basic cultural ordering of society is perverse, malevolent, evil. Mm-hmm. Makes makes total sense. You know, and like all those Dadaist dudes and like surrealists like you know, like Breton and all those people were reading Phantom and loving it because of how you know otherworldly it is. It's almost like a precursor of like surrealism or, or pop psychological terror, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean there's there's sort of like it, it's it's interesting tra- tracing this. It's always been something I'm fascinated by. I I like I made a, a list when so like for 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 comp uh comprehensive exams i made a list where uh which i wanted to do right i wanted i wanted to do this list and uh i was told you know like this looks like a fun list what is the focus um and my, my i was like it's like weird stuff and they were like yeah you can't like that can't be a focus because like we can't even pretend you can get a job off of that <laughs> <laughs> Well, but, uh, so what? What was the list? What well, the list? you know, just basically stuff that was like that was kind of about this concept, where it was like the 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 kind of like destabilization of of the self um, in novels, and like starting with stuff like this is why I bring it up. Starting with stuff like um, Confidence Man by by Herman Melville. Oh, I don't know yeah, if you've read yeah, that. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, wonderful novel. Um, I was just is, I was just on. I was just texting a friend today, telling him to read Moby Dick. <laughs> oh, I mean, listen, Moby Dick better novel. I know. But, uh, it's just funny that after a while he was like, "Are you really telling me to read Moby Dick?" I was like, "What the fuck else are you doing? Do it." <laughs> it's really good. If you don't have, if you don't know what you should, if you don't know what you're doing right now, you should just go ahead and read Moby Dick. No, I feel That's like a, I feel like last a great time, book. Not last time, but one time I was on here, we talked about Moby Dick for a really long time. It's really good. But okay, so we won't do it again. But the the so like uh, the thing about the confidence man for anyone who hasn't read it is it's about like the basic point for anyone who hasn't read it i know probably <laughs> most of you have um but uh it, it's about this guy on a on a um like a paddle boat basically like i don't know what you'd call them like the the, the big kind with like the big wheel yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's um, like a river boat yeah river boat thank yeah. you it's not like a duck boat he's not <laughs> like <laughs> He's not in Boston, you know. It's not like one of those things. But uh, yeah, he's on he's on a, a riverboat, and um, basically, like 
the only central character in this is the confidence man who's uh, playing like um, playing scams on everyone in the book. But as the book goes on, it's not entirely clear if there's more than one confidence man, if there's like a confidence man in general, or this is just a bunch of strange occurrences. If like, you know, anyone is actually being conned, if there's like a motive. So it all falls apart and it falls apart in a very intentional way. Like the, 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 the kind of like epistemology or ontology of the, um, of the confidence man is meant to be like, Oh, who is this guy again? Um, and it really is like the first moment of that, the thing I was talking about in the, in the, in the Patreon podcast where like it, it's this, this ending where a lot of people read it as unsatisfactory, but ultimately it's meant to be that way where it's like, yeah. Okay. Well that's going to, okay. So I got two things. (laughs) Okay, great. (laughs) You ever read, you ever read the first uh, Ripley book, the Patricia Highsmith talented Mr. Ripley? No, it's, it's, it's a, it's a whole series, but the first book is just standout. It's just amazing. Is he really talented? I I know it's talented Mr. Ripley. (laughs) It's well, the funniest thing is it's, it's, you know, it's about again, a confidence man, but he's kind of, falls into it. He's not going out to to steal somebody's identity and money and stuff, but it just happens. But it in that book more than anything else, it seems to come from a place of total loneliness and mm. discomfort in his own existence. You know? So it starts yeah. out and then he just happens to be good at forgery and faking stuff and whatnot. But uh yeah, do what you love and you never work a day in your life. But it's just funny because like that's a book that almost feels like a sort of it has that that sort of it feels like a cat and mouse game where you don't necessarily see the cats at all because they're ever present everywhere and the Mm -hmm. mouse is kind of existing as sort of like an existential shadow in the world trying to take on other people's existences yeah and it's it's, it's amazing i mean it's also yeah it's very like 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 if you oh, ever bring up that book people are like oh well you know that's a romantic laugh about being a lesbian in america and it's like yeah, but also, you know, it's also a lot of things. In the same way that yeah. I have those well, conversations this is like, with people who are like, oh, Kafka wrote the way he was because he was Jewish and in Prague. And it's like, okay, there's a lot of Jews in Prague who haven't written. Like, I have ancestors who were not Kafka. Like, what? <laughs> yeah. I, I, my, oh, boy. I, I, guess I, I guess I have some assumptions about Jewish people that I need to work out. I, <laughs> My racism towards Jewish people is that they're all they're all legendarily <laughs> talented novelists. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I, you know, I think you're right. Like it, it reminds me. I mean, even going back to to Melville, right? Like like thinking about the Confidence Man in that way. That's often read as like. I mean, it's read in two ways. I think the more interesting way to read it is as a, a fracturing of self after um, the Civil War. Um, or pre, it's either right before, or right I think after. It's and probably like, right before, right? When yeah, I forget. Like, so it's the confidence man. <laughs> We're both googling his map. <laughs> <laughs> Who will get there first? Uh, yeah, published eighteen fifty-seven. So right before yeah, the yeah, the, yeah. but like you know, at the point where it was obviously heading towards something like that. Like, there's a lot of conversation about it. The 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 feel of like just. Complete dissolution is this all right? Almost better that it's pre, right? Because like, yeah, there's this fear that everything's going to fall apart and never come back together. Um, and and you know, Melville also. So that's one reading. That's my favorite reading. But there's also the reading where um, where it's about you know Melville. It can't sell his his books. Like Moby Dick's become like this big thing, kind of. But like mostly people still want his adventure books. 
and like he can't write what he wants to write and people are getting mad at the whale or whatever and it's like yeah maybe but like there are a lot of people who are mad about their 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 work and they don't write this like this is these sort of like these sort of encounters with identity and existentialism i think always have to be read like yeah okay there might be an inciting event and like a reason this is being written but to question like the the stability of self in the way that these authors do is like i don't know like it it's something a little more than just one thing well so so the reason the main point of of the uh of the, the graduate thesis that i was going to work on was i was going to be working up to Abe Kobo, Kobo Abe, if you've ever mm. read him. Do you know his stuff? I've never read him, but I do know him, yes. He wrote, like, Secret Rendezvous, Woman in the Dunes. They made a bunch of movies out of his stuff. The two movies they made were uh, Woman in the Dunes and Face of Another, which are great films from the 1970s, which are worth seeing. But he, his work uh, was – that's kind of like the, one of the super nerdy reasons I got into – studying Japanese is because like he has something like 300 plays that have never been translated. He not only wrote 300 plays, he also came up with like a school and technique of acting. That's like super (laughs) unnatural and super impressionistic, which knowing him makes total sense. That's cool. You know, I I wanted to translate his work and that's why I started, you know, not the main reason, but that's one of the reasons why I was studying Japanese and why I went to school in Japan. But like, he has so many books where the actual main action is the dissolution of the self. Mm-mm. And like that was going to be my thesis and I was going to be working up to that from, you know, Murders in the Rue Morgue. That it's just funny that like he has a book called The Boxman, which like a lot of his books purposely make it so you can't tell which character is which, just like The Confidence Man. Yeah. There are characters who overlap and it might be one person presenting two different parts of themselves it might be like my favorite book by him is called the box man and at first it seems to be about a (laughs) a sort of psychological or sociological study of a thing that's happening in cities that people put on boxes cardboard boxes over their head and then just become invisible and disappear and drop out of society and people walk by box men who are walking around with giant cardboard boxes on their head and don't see them anymore you know what I mean, so <laughs> right, it's presented yeah. at first as a sociological study of how that's happening in society. Then, for no reason, it flipped into a how-to build your own box, like and <laughs> okay. which cardboard to use to which is better against the rain, and how to like build a shelf in your box and where to build an eye hole so you can see out well and stuff. Then it becomes a psychological study of three different men having interactions with box men, and how like one of them becomes a box man because of it. All of this might just be one person writing all of this. You know what I mean? And then there's like a psychiatrist who's trying to buy a box off of a box man. And you can't tell if it's like as his treatment to like kind of get him to come out of the box or not. And like by the end, it kind of doesn't matter what the actual like who's who is. The whole point is is sort of that general thing presented as one piece. Yeah. So like... So much of Abe's work has that thing where you're kind of following somebody through a mystery where by the end it's like, yeah, it's beside the point who's who and why why this is happening. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think like, you know, again, like I feel like there's there's something coming back to even our first conversation where like we're, 
you know, thinking about the historical context, because like you can draw a line from the 19th century into the 20th century here. You can think about lots of people that do this stuff like this, like especially playing around with identity. Um, you know, my favorite book, JR, um, it does this a lot. Like it's <laughs> Hey man. <laughs> what? We've talked about that's a hell of a that's a hell of a favorite book. That's a difficult, difficult book. Love that book, man. That's yeah. the best. If my favorite books, my favorite books are <laughs> like definitely top two are JR and Moby Dick, which uh does not make me very fun at parties. Um I gotta say the sluts working its way up into my top ten as I think more about it. Um oh, also not a book anyone wants to talk about. McTiernan is having his uh his his foul influence on you i know he really it's really uh it's it's a shame people keep people keep saying there needs to be an intervention but um <laughs> no but, so, the, but it was just yeah, funny but like, that you brought up twin peaks because it's funny by twin peaks has another thing where it's kind of whether that's the observable world or not is knowable and crime is solvable the best thing to me about Twin Peaks, and you know, everyone has their different read on it, and that's why I like it, is there's yeah. no simple explanation for anything that's going on. And he uses such broad things that would seem like like avatars or like cultural stereotypes. But even doing so, it's not like I, I don't know. I I keep seeing the sort of like pop psychological thing of people being like, Yeah, David Lynch is just talking about like, you know, like uh sort of like 1950s America that there's darkness behind it. And it's like, yeah, but he's working way after the 1950s. And I don't think he's doing anything as simple as that because like, I don't know, even something like blue velvet. That's like, you, you've seen blue velvet, right? I have, but it's been ages. Well, the plot is, it's just kind of like a kid, a very clean cut kid in a clean cut, normal looking town finds out about all this fucked up shit going on and becomes embroiled in it. But the fact of the matter is the clean cut kid goes looking for it and almost seems to have a perverse thrill of trying to get deeply involved in it. Not just as like the Hardy Boys solving a mystery or helping somebody like he's part of it. Yeah. The same way that like Agent Cooper, the fact that he's this like clean cut 1950s leading man throwback, but he also knows the history of Tibetan Buddhism. And he's also deeply psychologically, spiritually involved in the underpinnings of of what's going on in this town is a, is a thing. yeah there was there was like there was a, a post going around about and I, you know like most posts it missed the point but like a post going around about how like hey if you're if you're a cab guess who that counts dale cooper baby <laughs> all he likes is coffee and that's what cops like and it's like all right, I, okay. I think you kind of missed the point. Of, like, first of all, like you don't have to worry. You don't have to worry about him. Nobody's going to support a cop beating up a child because they're like, oh well, I really like Kyle MacLachlan in Twin yeah. Peaks. Like, <laughs> but like, also, also, it's just like it. it's also just like so much, so much. This thing where, where like, I, I don't know, like if you view Dale Cooper as like an actual like. <laughs> rounded character who could exist in the world like like uh, rounded character is the wrong way because he has depth but like that 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 uh that lynch is trying to do like mimesis yeah, with him. Not, <laughs> like i don't know all. what you're watching like why do you, why does he know about tibet then like what but, what, but what are also, all these asides it's, it's also <laughs> funny because like also the very simple thing of like oh laura palmer was the prom queen but she had a dark side is also beside the point because it's like those two things exist together. That's not like what I like yeah. about Twin Peaks is like 
and and you should watch the return because it goes even fucking crazier and it's really brave and willing to be really strange and and ridiculous and also they're one of my favorite episodes is just slowly zooming in on a mushroom cloud during the atomic test in Gordo in the 1950s sort of mm. it's almost like 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 a a cosmic event in history that is directly tied into everything that's happening like yeah you know like it's willing to have these sort of it's not doing a simple math where it's like this is a metaphor for x and this is a metaphor for y and once you know that blah blah, blah. you know what i mean like and it that's right yeah i think and, and that's what that's what happens like that's what happens in in a, a frustrating way with a lot of japanese media too like i was thinking about it when you were talking about that that that, that novelist and, and 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 his work like there's a there's a way you can just say like oh well like it's destabilized because of um because of uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki which like like people <laughs> yeah. love to make you because of a comp- dude so much of so much of the scholarship oh on on Japanese literature for 70 years is just that yeah and it's like i i've i've heard smart people make that claim just because like um because like uh, 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 um, not Burzum, um, definitely not Burzum. Uh, oh, and it's not Marduk. That's another black metal band. Mersbow. I'm guessing you mean. Thank Mersbow. you. It's Mersbow. Yes, <laughs> somewhere between Burzum and Marduk, there yeah, lies there lies Mersbow. But um, but like uh, <laughs> I heard Burzum say something like the Nord is. <laughs> like, oh, all right. It's kind of interesting. About circumcision. Uh, yeah. <laughs> He wanted me to talk to me about the uh, the quality of his white made USSR car. I don't know, like, whatever. <laughs> um, but no, like Mersbo said something about that, where like he like he talked about why Japan is like so obsessed with like the perverse and then and the noisy and stuff like that. It was because of the nuclear bomb, and you know, like it's it's one of those things where like you hear Mersbo say it, and if you're like fourteen, you're like, there's no one smarter than Mersbo, so that has to be true. Well, I, um, I, I think it's just funny because you know so much. So much of, of, of cultural interest in other cultures is always externalized self-shit. So, like, the sort of thing of, the, like, Japan's media is so fucking violent and gory and crazy, and they go there, and it's like, uh, have you seen American media, man? But it, it's Yeah, just- and also, like, it doesn't really. Like, <laughs> it, it, goes, it goes crazy. But, like, at the same point, like, there's a ton of, like, censorship that wouldn't happen in America. Sure. There's, like, but there's, also, like, a ton of, like, there's also a ton of, um, there's also a ton of uh, 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 variation in the media. Like, it's not just, like. Of course, but I'm just It's saying, not just that Angel Cop gif that was going around of for course, a while. But it's just funny that that becomes an intense focus, probably for people who are interested in those things. And if they can attach if they can attach a place and a culture to it, it makes it seem more grounded for that interest. But like, just to jump back one, one topic, when I was, when I was in Japan studying in school and, you know, then I'm reading Japanese literature. So you have to read comment on Japanese literature, a lot of it by Japanese people, but also a lot of Americans and, and Western Europeans. There was this repeated thing that being like, well, you know, Japan lost the war, but in a way they never came to terms with what the war actually was. And like What? <laughs> and they've never actually come to terms with it and talked about it as a society. So it's this oh my open God. festering wound. And I was just sitting there and it was like two thousand and eight or something, and it's like we're five years into the Iraq war. Two thousand and four we had a a presidential election where 
the metaphor of Vietnam and who lost it was happening. Like, like have we have we have we as a country come to terms with World ex- War Two? Like, exactly like, what I was thinking. Like, we haven't come to terms with even the war happening right now. So I'm not going to yeah. sit there and be like, oh, these poor Japanese have never come to terms. You know, it's just like right. And it, it is always it's. I think like I think it's it's in part that paternalism and then part like people just love having conclusions for stuff, right? Like. There's yeah. – I saw someone – like one of the things I ta- – also spoilers for Mayor of Easttown if you're an hour and a half into this episode and you care about spoilers for Mayor of Easttown. Um, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a sucker for, for a procedural and will watch every procedural. Can I, can I just uh, cut you off real quick and tell you something you might not know that, that I just saw come down the wire in a chat the, like 20 minutes before we started? What happened? What happened? The guy from Mayor of Easttown who wrote and directed it was one of the original guys who made Homestar Runner. Did you know that? Really? Yes. He's not he's not he's not either of the brothers, but he was there for naming and making all the characters at the very I like, beginning. Um my my headcanon now is that he voiced Hamsar. <laughs> but I, I that's all I know about Maravista. Wow, I like it way more. I mean I liked it already, but I like it way more now. Um it explains why everything has such a consistent accent. That <laughs> they were like, we have to find somewhere that has an accent that is real goofy. Is it both? That is how where, you make where? media. Is it Baltimore? It, no, Delaware it? County, essentially. Oh, okay. but like, yeah. so it's it's, but it, like the accents, the Delco accent is very much real and there. Like he makes Kate Winslet learn it very well, um, and like so everyone has it in there. So it's like okay, we're just gonna say home a lot and Wooder and like <laughs> yeah, how I, got, ye. I got a bunch of cousins who grew up in uh, in Philadelphia proper, okay. the city and. That's so funny that that accent is never on television for the most part. Even it's because like, it's, it's an insane accent. Yeah, like, like that, it's whenever me and my brother are doing impressions of our cousin, we go, "Come on!" <laughs> That's how they say constantly. I like, grew up. I like. On. I grew up here. I've I've never had a Philly accent. So like, but I can only. I, I, I go into Chicago accent if I if I'm if I'm not careful and the only way I can really do it is and I've probably mentioned this on the podcast but the only way I can really do a Philly accent is if I remember this commercial for air conditioning I used to hear during Phillies games <laughs> where they'd go like it was like it like the early 2010 so it was when the Phillies rotation was really good and they'd be like you go Phillies rotation is the best the Phillies rotation is the best ever and, and, and who you call if you need to get an out and if you need to get an air conditioning fixed like it's just like it's just like this weird like i have to i have to go back and think of this commercial it's like my my madeline um but yeah no like it's kate winslet did an interview where she said it was like far and away the hardest accent she's done stuff like that but like it explains why that happened that's that's rad but like the end of mary of easttown right like i won't even spoil it it's not really necessary like it the end of mary of easttown has like a very specific culprit Basically, and there, 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 there are sort of like two mysteries that end up like not quite dovetailing into the same one. Very common in shows like that. That's fine. It's like interesting, fun, whatever. But it has a concrete villain, not villain, but like perpetrator, right? Yeah. And and like like a lot of those shows, and I think I, I think I said this in the podcast. If you're not going to make it um, vague or um, hard to pin down or existentially confusing, you have to make it tragic. Um, and so it's, it's extraordinarily depressing, right? Like, it's just like, oh, the, that's the person, Jesus, like, oh God. Um, I, this is the, no one's, no one's getting out of this well. Um, but like, I saw people complaining about the ending and it's like, well, you complain about that ending. Sure. But 
I'm thinking about how many people complain about the endings of like every other vague show, right? Like, oh, oh well, that didn't give me closure. I didn't find out who killed Laura Palmer. Like, you can't really have both. Oh, you- dude, Trevor, watch watch the return because the way that the return ends is like an existential kick in the teeth. But I love it. Is great and it works perfectly. And I don't even want to talk about it because I don't want to ruin it for you. But the funniest thing about that is one of my best friends was super is 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 the biggest Twin Peaks fan. So he was like, yo, let's watch the last two episodes that come out on the same day I'm working, but the next day, I'm going to take the day off, let's watch them. And I was like, I heard they're pretty depressing. And he was like, nah, whatever, let's watch them. Like, it's, it's the end. And I went over to my friend's house, we watched like two hours of Twin Peaks, and at the end, we just kind of like sat there and quietly looked at each other like, yeah, man, all right. <laughs> it's, like when I, it's like when I took my wife on one of our first dates to Wolf Creek, man. Like, that's what you do. You just, you just <laughs> depress them and then spend a lot of time just sitting around going, woof. It's like, uh, God. Yes. So anyway, yeah. So it was just funny though. That, so that, 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 uh, that cultural thing of like Japan does X, Y, or Z is, is a thing that was funny to be in scholarship in Japan, read it in Japanese and be like, or, or mostly in English, but it was just so funny that it was like, yeah, man, I, I don't want to be the person being like, I don't, it's funny that in that has stuck around. That feels almost like a 19th century thing of being like the Japanese character is X is being like, yeah, and, right. And yeah. And there's like a weird version now where there's a kind of like, I don't know. I, I know a lot of people who are like, you know, anime fans and stuff who, who think they have a politically progressive thing that they're doing but they're doing a weird version of that it's just positive <laughs> yeah you know no I mean? absolutely like, absolutely correct and like people do that with readings of like so i mentioned jr before like the easiest reading of jr that i've ever like the, the most common one is like oh it's crazy because money's crazy like money has a logical <laughs> and like don't get me wrong it's not incorrect <laughs> like like the dialogue is all over the place and if you want to say that's sort of like because money is not like an irrational actor the way that uh, libertarians would say it is sure like yeah that yeah absolutely there's more reasons than that though there's more going on there than just like it's crazy because the stock market's (laughs) crazy and like i feel like that's just something that people love to do now they love to give like diagnostic clues and it's why i love like what people are telling me about the return because like i feel like after people got over the laura palmer thing And then after people sort of reassessed season two, right, and said, like, well, actually, the end's pretty good. Um, Like, I feel like at a certain point there became, like, another reading about it. Like, I've seen the reading that, like, oh, it's all a metaphor for abuse or, oh, it's this. Like, or, oh, it's that. Like, it's it's about repressed darkness. And I love that. It's so weird, though, because we live in a time now where I think probably because, like, the way we react to art socially now is performative and involves strangers. So that makes it political because there's kind of like uh, sort of collapse between the personal and the social as we react to art. I, you know, I'm not a sociologist. This is just, <laughs> just how no, I feel. That's, that's using. why I trust you. That you're not a socialist. <laughs> but I'm, I'm just saying like, Something like Twin Peaks, especially something like all of the novels that I like, all of the art that I like is like there are infinite amount of readings. And so many of those readings are what you're bringing to it as a viewer or a reader or an experiencer of the art. Right. 
Yep. But like the sort of, you know, sort of like doctrinaire arguments of like actually X is about Y. It's like, all right, <laughs> you know, it's it's sad that it has to get to that level, but it does because like it involves your reaction to it is is sort of seemingly a performed statement. Yeah, you know, and I think like that's the problem, right? The perform the performativity of the statement is the issue. Where like I've made plenty of claims in my life when I've said like, nope, that's what this book's about. Like I've I've solved it. And, like, the point of saying that is almost never to have people, like, clap and say, like, you've done it. Like, it, here, here's your – here's sometimes it's that because that would be cool. But, like, you know, I don't I don't expect that. I expect people to then argue with me and say, like, well, I don't think it's that. Like, I, that, I mean, like th- I this mean, thing happened. That's the best reason to experience art and talk to your friends about it because they're exactly, – yes. They have a wildly fucking different take on it than you will. And, like, what I like about Twin Peaks is anything that seems like it's an easy – signifier usually gets tossed out the fucking window, especially exactly. in, in Firewalk with me and the return. Like you get things that you're just like, Oh, that's what this is about. And then like 20 minutes later, you're like, no, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and like, that's, that's, what's cool about like, I, you know, I'm, I'm not, I, I, I temper the Lynch thing. Like people talk about David Lynch. Like he's the only person who ever did surrealism. Like <laughs> yeah, well, for sure. I, I mean, like, the fact that he's done it on a popular, the fact that the fact that the return was on TV actually bugs me out. It makes me happy because yeah, there there are episodes where it's just literally you're watching a guy sweeping the floor for two minutes. I'm not exaggerating. Oh God, that that's so good. And it's just like you know the fact that he pulled that off is pretty mystifying. But uh, yeah, no, I think like that's great, and I, I love that he is in the zeitgeist and like popular culture and has used like the Twin Peaks success and the Eraserhead success. It's not really success. Uh, use the let's say use the lost highway success. Let's let's say that. Um, but like you know, like he's he's used that and, and really made something of it that like he he hasn't he hasn't he hasn't slowed down. I think he's like fantastic. Um, I also think there's you know there are other people that have of done course. surrealism. So like I try to I try to temper it. But and like also there's probably a lot of young people who are doing amazing. Absolutely, shit that should be on TV or on the screen. Or yeah, whatever. Like, and I think Lynch would probably agree with you yeah. there, which is so funny. But like, I think the you know the thing for me is that someone would see their work getting ossified like that and be like, yeah, you know what? Here's the thing. Um, it's all wrong. Everything you're saying is wrong. And I've made a TV series to show you that is like that's so empowering to me. Like it's so good because like. I don't usually like when artists argue about their work and, and that's nothing against you an artist, but like, no, 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 but it's I, funny because... I find it irritating because they'll say things like, Oh yeah. You know, like this is what it means to me, but like it could mean anything to anyone. It's like, that's useless. Like what? Come on. Shut no, up. I, that, that's kind of a, but that position is something I come from only because sometimes you'll talk to people and, and you know, I think the way reading an artist taught in school beats the shit out of us. That there's one correct reading. So you have these conversations with people that are like, Oh, I'm really stupid. And I, I don't know anything. And I don't know anything. And I, I think that maybe this is about X and you're like, yeah, kind of, but you're right. Like if that's what you got out of it, like, absolutely. Like you're not, I think that's, yeah, I think that's wrong. nice. Like, you know what I mean? And I feel like, I don't know the way we're taught poetry in school is like, you know, people are like, <laughs> Nope, that's the reading for it. What does this mean? <laughs> that's what that's what Emily Dickinson meant. If you say anything different, you're wrong. You know, like, and I and I think that really makes us like, you know, just trigger shy about like, if you're not getting art, you're stupid. And and I think that also though makes people, you know, in this day and age, that sort of has 
anger has been externalized that like lots of times I see people do things that are kind of avant-garde, not pretentious, just maybe read a bunch of different ways and people are immediately like, oh, that's attacking me, like the poetry that attacked me in eighth grade. You know what I mean? And that yeah. makes me sad. Like, Yeah, I think that, I think you're right. And like, I, I, I think like, I don't know, there's... There's certainly something sympathetic built into these questions of like, you know, arguing that like, oh, you know, Bob is abuse. Um, you know, the, the the killer of Laura Palmer is a metaphor for abuse, a fam- familial abuse that her father enacted upon her. Like there's there's a very. Oh, that's there's a, a very, totally compelling and, and good reading of that. But but the, sure. But, the but if you say it's the only if, if yeah. you're if you're then saying it like I solved it, that's the code. Like, I get why you do – I get why people do that. There's a safety in that, right? Like, there's a safety and a sort of, like, peace in saying, like, I figured it out. I got my reading. Everyone else's reading is wrong. Here's what the real <laughs> reading is, right? Yeah. But, like, I think ultimately, like, as uncomfortable as, as it is, like, something like Twin Peaks and something like Silvercase, which, like, honestly is, like, is a game that – I think the best way to talk about Silvercase without spoiling it, which I – I don't care so much about spoilers, except that I, you know, I know people do. Yeah. I would play the Silver Case unspoiled because, like, it is, it's neat the way it, it deals with its mysteries. Um, but like the one interesting thing about the Silver Case is like, it starts off as a detective story, and effectively, like, you you solve no, like, <laughs> you solve cases, I guess, but like. The idea of like the it starts out being like oh okay so this will be like a thing where we're we're constantly solving cases leading up to a big one, and ultimately it's like no you, you sort of like this isn't about solving cases like well, I that, just I need you to know it's not about that and it's like okay I as I like, go through I feel it like that's an interesting way that, that that detective fiction and whatnot jumped off because like you know the the idea of there being a cut and dry good guy and bad guy. Or even if there's a twist where it's like you thought it was bad guy A, but it's bad guy B for this other reason. There's something more interesting of like, that's why I was bringing up the Boxman or like mm. even Twin Peaks. It's like the basic premises by which you're culturally saying like what is good and what is evil if, if you're working in that way for a detective thing. Or even what is a crime or a misdeed done and what does it mean? Like... There is something spiritual about recasting even what the premises of what crime is, you know, to begin with. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I totally agree. And, like, and I feel like a lot of noir fiction constantly, who the villain is, are powers that are so large yeah. that the main characters act as if they're cynics who don't give a shit and sophisticates because they know full well the injustice of their society. And so like the one justice they'll try to do, they're fully aware of, of it taking place in a horrible world. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it, it it's this element of like, um, I think you're right. Like noir, <laughs> noir kind of has this um, destabilization of, of the self that exists like very much within the world wars between the world wars or like very much like it, it's not that that explains it. It just like is a fertile ground for it. Well, I'll also, say like, I think there's a sort of self-protection of the ego, not just as mm. like mass death being all around you, but also corruption being all around you. Yeah. You know, like corruption politically and also just like of what you have to do to survive. You know what I mean? Like, 
I think that's why that hard edge thing isn't just people having lived a rough life or being cynical or, or becoming a street sophisticate by having your shit kicked in. Like, yeah, I think there's, there's a sort of soul protection that comes with that. And, and in most good noir stories, somebody's put in a position where they have to admit that they care about things. And it's funny that like Casablanca, the main character has to admit that he cares about politics. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, it, that's right. And like, it, and, it, and he doesn't even, got, he doesn't even get the girl at the end, you know, like, like, there's a there's a wonderful there's a wonderful uh, element in um, in the the novel Red Harvest, which more people have read than I uh, expected. Um, I always assume no one's read it, but a lot have. Yeah, I guess why, was that was there a TikTok about that or something? Like I saw like maybe two years ago a bunch of young kids all being like Red Harvest. And I was like, what the fuck? Okay, I like I I assigned it to my students once, and like I mean actually multiple times. I love assigning that book. Did any of book. them any of them make a TikTok? About yeah, like I mostly. I mean, I mostly just teach. Uh, mostly, I teach um, uh, TikTok stars. That's like that's my. Oh, thing. I was just picturing you teaching via TikTok, so it just takes hours of you just pointing at one caption and just being like. <laughs> unionization <laughs> just like dancing and pointing at it <laughs> but like the the best part about the best part about like um about the the politics in um this part about the politics in red harvest is basically like yeah um it's like yeah the 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 element of politics ends up in the very end where you know the the op the the character the op is like yeah, so like so committed, right? Like so like yeah, you know, the this like I, I gotta solve this case. I need to figure out what's going on in this rotten town. Like everything is fucked up, everything is like ruined, this is poison. And at the end of the book, like when he finds it all out, the agency calls him and they're just like, Get out of there, come home, this isn't your problem anymore, leave it behind. And that's the end of it. Like it's just yeah. like it's like and I left. Yep. And it's like it's like that's so good. Like it's so good to like to to set this all up and then be like, yeah, the problem is you 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 can't um can't do that. Like you can't, you can't you can't beat politics that way. You're just gonna like you're gonna you're gonna get called back to your to your agency and and you're gonna be hollowed out again because you're the you're the op. Like you're not you're not like the the savior here. And it's just like it's so sad, but it's so perfect. Well, I also think in this day and age, and you know we talked about this briefly in dms we don't actually have to go into it but I, I think a lot of people there's a now school of thought that i think a lot of people would see that as as capitulization or or fatalism that the continental op doesn't become doesn't make communism happen and, <laughs> right. um, but it's it's funny because i think the reality of stuff like that is it shows that it's not affect. It's not the soul of the characters in it that have made the material conditions under capitalism so evil. It's the material realities of it. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah. No, that's exactly and, right. And, and it's that like... way it feels more politically realistic and, you know, maybe it's not superficially hopeful, but it's it's seems like a more realistic read for readers than – than if the op went and, uh, you know, killed yep. the bosses or something, which wouldn't. No, happen. absolutely. I mean, there's something satisfying about that, but like, yeah, it's just like, it's just like, yeah, you know, you, 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 I don't know. Like you have to, you have to understand that the op is like, he's part of this larger system himself. And like, 
the whole point of Hammett writing it that way is like, yeah, okay, like the ops started to care about this, but that's literally not what he's supposed to do. But also, <laughs> also the op, the corporation that he's working for may very well be Pinkertons. Like, yeah, absolutely, uh, it's it's not, completely unclear. But they're, yes, they're not that, called the Pinkertons, but he's working. He's an operative for some thing that is definitely not even on the side of the people and never was. You know what I mean? Right, so right. he's already compromised in where he gets his money from. So when they call him and say, your, your case is done, he does. You know I mean? Yeah, he's like, all right, I guess, I guess that's true. Um, yeah, it's, it's like, it is, it's just a much, I don't know, it's just a much better version of it where like, it's not, you know, like, and then I, I kick flipped a skateboard and said, fuck you, like yeah, yeah. union boss, like, fuck, or like, fuck you, like boss of the town. I'm gonna, I'm gonna like, I'm gonna solve the whole thing. Um, I don't know, like it's there's something there's something really frustrating about art that doesn't embrace I guess this is the I guess this is like where I'm at, right? Like there's something really frustrating about art that doesn't embrace um uh, uh, uh failure or inability, right? Like like the, the cool thing about Twin Peaks and the Silver Case is like and like I'm I'm only halfway through the Silver Case because I'm I'm I don't know, I I'm Trev, Trev, work hard if enough. you want to talk about failure and inability, please watch the return and get to the okay. end and have a bad time. All right, all right. Let's talk Got about it. it I, I will. This, is, this will be right up your ass. There's like six people that want to talk to me about that. <laughs> you don't even have to, to talk to me about it. And don't it on, worry. We can talk about it just as friends. We don't have to talk about it on a podcast. Uh, oh, wow. Just as friends. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but yeah, like I think, I think like the, the thing about the thing about like the silver case that I love is it, it comes to the conclusion of like its overarching, like big, huge, like, you know, enormous story right around like the middle of the game or maybe in like 75% through. And then there's just a bunch of stuff left after all the chips have fallen and like everything's screwed up. And it's in, like, in, oh, in a, in a good way or uh, no, no, nothing goes well. In the <laughs> no, no, no. I, I mean, do you like it as an experience? I like it a lot. Story. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I think it's really cool. Like, I think. Um, I think it's really neat that, that they do that where it's like, you get there and it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't have any, I don't have any good answers here. Like, I don't, I don't have a, I don't have a method for you to like, this does, this isn't going to come pat. Like, not only is this last case not going to be fully answered in, in a way that you probably should have seen coming if you're, if you're at all familiar with like weirdo, um, you know, weirdo kind of, uh, uh detective fiction. Um, but like. It also, after it says, like, yeah, that, that that was a messy ending, it's like, well, you're still on the job, so uh, here's your next thing. And it's like, God, that's that's rough. Like, it would be like it would be like doing Cooper's next case, right? Like, oh, that, was, <laughs> that would be a good story. That would be a really good story about somebody having some kind of, like, mind-blowing, insane case where everything went wrong and, like, their whole reality was shattered apart. And then you're not seeing that. You're seeing the next very simple case they're on yeah they're just kind of like broken and they're like oh i saw through reality on my last case so uh <laughs> i don't i don't know what, what i'm doing right now <laughs> is is this real is it possible like i i don't know like that that like that idea of like a crumbling moment happening and then there being reality after the fact is well we, extremely we, grim and also just like true we're right? living through it I mean, yeah exactly everyone has to get back to normal yeah and it's like i don't we just we just like 
this whole last year and a half was like yeah. a nightmare and, oh, and I, ruined even, everything. Even without pandemics, I mean, even without mass death, just even in quote unquote normal times, there are just times when like you feel like your heart's been ripped out of your chest and then you're like, oh, I got to pay my phone bill. And you're like, can I just get this floated? Because like uh, I just had a really <laughs> bad breakup and I shouldn't <laughs> even have to think about this. Like. I have to tie my shoes now? Like, fuck you. <laughs> Can I get this floated? No, I mean, I get it. Yeah, it's like, it's like you know, the, the yeah, it's, it, it's this feeling of, of, and I think that's like, that's what's wonderful about, about these, these larger existential detective stories. And in some ways, like even stories that are not well loved, like, um, uh, oh, who's that author? Paul Auster. Paul Auster had like a moment where everyone loved him and then like everyone hated him. Um, <laughs> well, he wrote the best thing that he wrote was anti detective stories. That, yeah, <laughs> are we going to say the same thing? Well, well, one, two, three. Just kidding. <laughs> no, the, the, I mean, the, the New York trilogy, right? Is yeah, the New York trilogy right? is my favorite. Leviathan is also one of my favorites, and is, I love Which it. And that's Leviathan? also Leviathan's is, is just like a standalone novel, but it's oh, also does his detective fiction. Disappear into the woods and die yes. on a hike. Yeah, that's pretty much right. Okay, I remember that. It's yeah. great. It's 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 fantastic. Yeah, that's um, a good one. And also, like he was writing a book about Leviathan or something. That's why it's called that. What's yeah, exactly. And like yeah. Paul Auster shows up. It, it, it's cool. Like it's, it's when it, I was young, I thought that was cool that Paul Auster shows up. But then when I reread the New York trilogy, I, I've had the opposite reaction. That I was like, mm. "Fuck you." Man. <laughs> I think like the thing about Paul, the thing about Paul Oster showing up is it works if you're just like, well, that's what Paul Oster does. Okay. Like that's, that's the only way he's good. Um, But yes, it's, it's, it's lame. But the thing, the thing about the thing about Paul Oster's good work. And, and in this, I say like the New York trilogy is very good, especially uh, city of glass. Have you read, um, have you read the graphic novel of city of glass? No. Who did it? Uh, Oh, it's um, I think it's as, Oh man, hold on. Uh, I have it. It's fantastic. It's it's really neat. Um, we're both googling it. <laughs> I know we we're both googling it again. It's uh, God, it's just saying Paul Auster and not saying the artist. Oh yeah, it's uh, it's uh, Karasik, uh, Paul Karasik and uh, David Mazzucchelli. Oh Christ, well, this looks cool. No, it's never... really cool. It's all the it's all the um, it's like the novel in full basically. Um, but they illustrate it, and the illustrations are so good. Oh, and it, like looks, it, it looks great in black and white, too. Like, that's a perfect way for it to do it. Like, I'm looking yeah, at a picture that's just him against a map of the city, and it looks great. Yeah, that's a really good – like, almost every single page in this is worth looking at. Like, uh, and, like, the fact – like, when Paul Oster shows up and he's drawn, like, that extra step of um, – of mediation is like makes it so makes it better like it makes it sort of See, like oh i get it that's cool that would make sense to me visually better than seeing it in prose <laughs> uh, right no same here i i think that's like i think this is far and away the best version of city in, city of glass like i think this is the canonical version Christ, for me how did i not even know that existed no one really does i remember writing about it briefly in at nyu and it was like people were like oh that's cool that that exists and i was like Mazzuchelli's like a, a big deal yeah. after Asterius Polyp. Why is no one like – but anyway, um, what I love about City of Glass is like – is that it it does introduce like this sense of of just like utter defamiliarization. And like Oster's good at that. And like I feel like that is something that we really can lean into a little bit more or like well, I, be curious I, about a little bit more. It's I don't funny know. because I think we're in a time of, of – probably a combination of social media and the fact that everything is going wrong politically and we're all losing both, you know, societal 
political power, money, and everything, that the, uh, the main reaction is to harden the way we think about politics, and that involves like taxonomy and, you know, sort of affect and aesthetic as politics, just as something to grab onto, but also because of how communication is mediated. But like, I don't know. I, I'm someone, I'm a materialist politically, like, so I think that the actual political problems we have are material and don't have to do with what shirt you wear or whatever. But it's perfectly okay to be a materialist, politi- materialist politically, but have, and I know I'm preaching to the choir here. I'm not saying like, oh, you don't think this. Um, but like, um, I think it's like, I think it's really true that you can be a materialist politically and, and also think like, hey, you know, like we don't have to get rid of this question of like embodiment and being and oh, stuff. Sure, like sure. that's like my, super important. My main point is that like being a materialist politically means that like, I don't know. I this is not my problem to talk about, but I see all of my friends, all my gay friends, all of my non-binary friends going at it on Twitter because like every 3 weeks someone will show up and make like a Venn diagram saying like and this proves lesbians don't exist and then there's like a fight and stuff and after a while it's like there's a lot of that goes on and you know I really don't want to talk about this cuz it's fucking horrible, but like if you talk about mental health on the internet at all there's a real need that people are saying like, no, we have to draw lines and say like, <laughs> make names for ourselves, make like right. proof of what works, what doesn't work, blah, blah, blah. And the actual argument is like, there's a lot of different people and a lot of different things going on. You know what I mean? That, yeah, should, that like, should be controversial to say like, hey, what works for you might not work for others. What you call yourself, other people might not call themselves or feel comfortable with it. Because as a materialist, you understand that in, in, in power relations, there's identification external overpowers self-identification most of the time. So most of the identities that we're using in the language for them are received and come out of power relations. Whereas like, if you believe in a leftist project, the ideal is we will have total fluidity of identity and plurality of identity. We won't be in a place where like, what you call yourself, how you dress, what blah, blah, blah. All of those things are totally mutable and changed by the age, by the way. And and so much about culture is just reinforcing the fake idea of a forever, like men are like this, women are like this, blah, blah, blah. Things that even if you look 10, five years into the past are totally disproven. But I'm just saying like the idea is that if we have fluidity of ideas – it's empowering because the actual setup of, of politics is material <laughs> under capitalism. <laughs> so we don't have to like fight each other over aesthetic differences or, or weaponize those. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, and, no, I do. That, that's what kills me about this being a time of, of total upheaval is under art. Like we keep having these conversations where people are like, you think X is real? Well, it turns out it's actually Y. And you're like, yeah, it's neither. Like, that, that that's another thing I want to talk about, like, with detective fiction so much so it's like, people going and having their identities and conceptions of the world go into total dissolution isn't fatalism, and it's not, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not necessarily negative. 
Like, yeah. if the premises of what we think is real melt away, that can also be very empowering. You know what I mean? Like, but it's never clean. Like, what's his name? Fucking, I want to say Chateaubriand. No, it's, uh, who wrote Simulacra? Sim, sim, Simulacra. Oh. Uh, 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 Everybody uh, hates him. Ba- Baudrillard? Ba- Baudrillard. Yeah. One of the points he made is that, um, an illusory reality falling away doesn't necessarily mean that you'll be face facing real reality. <laughs> it's, right. Yes, yes, yes. And, and that's, you know, that sort of like take the red pill type shit is a simple binary in that case. Right. It's literally like, Oh, all of illusion is gone. And now I'm in reality. It's like, if you look at most mystical or esoteric takes, it's not takes, Traditions. No, it <laughs> takes. In, in rel- I, I want to know more about the esoteric takes that you're interested They're in. They're saying uh, because of the historical Buddha, I had to put my dog in a shelter. No, it's. Uh, I'm just saying, like, <laughs> if you if you read, not so much in Christianity because none of it survived, but like in Kabbalah or uh, some Sufism, some some Buddhist traditions, definitely the Vedic traditions, like reality itself. Being illusory is just a state of existence because what you see is the brain yourself, like looking at phenomena, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So that and through art, I think can be uh, liberatory because it shows both the possibility of yourself, but also the possibility of your understanding of the world is not static. It is not forever. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I think like, I think the, you know, one of the things that tends to happen with, um, with our discourse now around identity is this like, is when it is, um, when it's like laid out between, um, you know, are you doing identity or are you doing class? Right. And like, obviously we, we understand that's like what, whatever, but like the, the way that works, right. Is that like class is seen as something that is, um, firm and unchanging because it's material and identity is something ideal. And like, of course, you know, you could talk about the dialectic you can talk about all sorts of stuff. Right. Um, but like the, the, the other elements of it, right. Are like, you want to say like, it's not even necessarily that we're talking about identity because we need something to talk about other than class. It's like talking about identity is a way of destabilizing some sort of certainty that is allowing the material system to keep reproducing itself over and over and over again. Well, I, I think I think it's also really complicated because, like, I think there's a historical reason why a lot of people get angry at the idea of class-first people and why class-first people act the way they act. Because, like, there's a reality of, like, somebody saying, here's my lived experience and the shit I have to deal with all the time. And someone's saying, like, yeah, but none of that's real, by the way. <laughs> it's like, of course you'll be like fuck you. <laughs> you know what I mean? like, and if, if it's, if it's at a meeting and it's just like a white guy who is the leader all the time saying like, Oh, you're complaining about racism all the time. None of that's real, by the way. Like that's of course going to lead to people saying like, yeah, it's real. You don't know what you're talking about. But like the thing is like that class versus identity, like they're so inextricably linked that it's like, you know, <laughs> you can't you the, the even the dividing of the two seems like seems like an op <laughs> yeah no and it's it's like it's it's almost like not even like an op as much as just like 
a straight misunderstanding of like what what the world is, like how the world works. But also, also, <laughs> like, also the way the world works to reward your conception of things definitely. I would say that there are incentives to to treating identity as a thing outside of material conditions because by doing so you never have to talk about material conditions and people will pay you to do that. You know what I mean? Like, and it's, it's the same way that like, I don't know. It's, it's the same way that every fucking failed and nobody celebrity becomes a right winger. Like they're going to be paid to, to act out identity that makes no sense all the time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think you're right. And I think like, you know, there's something, there's something in the gaps about like the, 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 the kind of ambiguity of identity, the ambiguity of plot, the ambiguity of, of expression that is compelling. And also just like, Oh, well also like, does not have a, does not like, we don't have room for to talk about it in, in a world where it's like, yeah, look, we, uh, we're gonna, we're gonna make everything about, uh, I don't know. Like, it's a world where where um, certainty matters more, right? And also, ideally, like that plurality of identity could lead to solidarity once you understand that everybody has wholly different experiences yeah. than you. You know, yeah. like, and also, I believe that understanding of the world can be fed by dealing with art that, in no way, is just like giving you ABC and you ingest it in your, you know, your ABCs or whatever. <laughs> like I think it's necessary. I think it's it's politically necessary, which is funny because we're in a time where people think anything that seems fatalistic or broad is negative politically because it's not sloganeering. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, you're right. That's exactly right. Yeah. Huh. Well, sorry for. <laughs> no, I like it. And honestly, like I think I think I'm I'm only saying huh because I'm realizing like. We're uh, we're like we're at like two hours, I think, and we're both clearly sort of losing steam, but <laughs> yeah. like in a good way, in the way that we've we've just been like, man, I don't want to lose to fucking Sean McTiernan. I haven't even talked about traditional Irish music yet. Well, you know what? Uh, I I think Sean and I usually episodes usually go two hours, and then we do uh, an hour long Patreon. So you still have you still have a chance. We'll <laughs> <laughs> we'll have you on for a Patreon too. Um, but yeah, no, no, this is this is really helpful for me, like thinking about this stuff. I think like, you know, there's something in there about about like like I was saying before, there's something in there about like ambiguity and and what like what we're willing to um what we're willing to like accept as ambiguous. Um Well it's just, I, it's just funny yeah. and this is like a super easy target and you know, I, I looked at their timeline and I think they're not a child. But, like, there was a tweet going around that was, like, a picture of Jackson Pollock and a picture of sort of, like, 1950s Soviet realism. Hell yeah. I know like, where this is going. It was like, hey, idiots, there is actually a Marxist art, and it's scientifically proven, and it's not this abstraction shit, which is for idiots. There's actually a true Marxist art, and it looks like the one on the right. The one on the left is degenerate. Any questions? And it was like, first of all, that's a Nazi line. Second of all, you don't know anything about the Soviets. If you think abstraction is something that never, like, the best abstraction in the world that actually influenced all of human society 
came out of the Soviet Union at the beginning God, of the 20th so century. that's so weird. Like, second of all, like, you just like the idea of, you know, Soviet cosplay, which, fine, you're, that's, you're getting... I hope you had a good time with it, yeah. But like, I just, I just like the idea of, like, like, you think you're a Marxist and you like degenerate art? And I was like, okay, man. <laughs> like, <laughs> of course, of course, politics. Okay, shilling. Aesthetics. Like, okay, okay, like, okay, okay, Goobles. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's why it was so funny. But it was also funny being like, being like, that's why I'm a Soviet because I don't believe in that bullshit abstraction. It was like, you know, Alexander Rochenko, Malevich, like the best abstract artist in the world who influenced and changed the course of art history came out of the soviet union <laughs> like, i love when people act like there's not like abstraction in soviet art where like it, it, you know we're talking about the battleship potemkin yeah. where we're talking about like like the these films that are like utterly bizarre like the i, I can't remember yeah, the modern, one but it's modern like modern editing came out of abstraction came out of yes. avant-garde in the soviet union and it's just like oh it's, it's not avant-garde because it says workers are good <laughs> it's like all right buddy <laughs> I just thought it was funny Great. because I, I saw that I saw that and I was just like, oh my god! If you're gonna if you're gonna rep the, the Soviet Union, you could also rep good art. Like <laughs> you're a 30 year old or something, and a 25 year old. No, you can only do one or the other. And and I got to tell you, the one is definitely going to sell uh, more uh, retweets than the other one. Yeah. <sighs> All right. Well, yeah, Alex, now, I'm, now I'm running out of steam. I don't even know Albus, what I said over the last um, 30, 30 minutes. I hope it makes sense. I hope no, it did. Uh, I'm sure it did. Uh, where can people buy your upcoming book? Have you found oh. someone who is smart enough to publish it? No, uh, but I'm, those you know, bastards. I'm going to look into it. I haven't I haven't even looked for publishers yet. My, my old publisher stopped being a publisher. I finished a book in like February or March. And I should get on trying to get it published, but it's just been such weird times that I just immediately started working on a sequel to it. <laughs> I mean, that's one way to do it. Yeah. Let's so, be let's be real. That is one way to do it. So they'll they'll I'll have to kick it to a publisher for a package deal. But uh, yeah, uh, I have existing books. I have a book that's still available called Soft X-ray Mind Hunters, which is from Koyama Press, full color, four hundred pages, no words very abstract if you're we love it if you're into if you're according into, according to to alex deegan his characters eat pussy in it <laughs> no actually the comic i just made is there's actual pussy eating in it really Which, yeah i mean it's not graphic it's it's tasteful. it's rude of you to make it's 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 rude to say that then people have to read it when it is people have to buy it when it is not um <laughs> available for sale well by the way just to just 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 to timestamp this me and Trevor are recording on a night where there's some kind of controversy, and I don't even know what kicked it off about how Batman doesn't eat pussy. Oh, what kicked it off was there's this Harley Quinn show, an animated series, which I guess is for adults, I have to assume, uh, where um, there was a scene where Batman was eating um, Catwoman's pussy, and <laughs> they... Um, they cut it out? Yeah, they said, DC said, like, DC said, like, we can't, you know, we can't have that for... Like that doesn't work for Batman. Uh, we can't do that. We can't. It won't sell comics or like we can't sell action figures that way. But if it's um, for yeah, adults, not how we they... sell consumer toys for Batman. It's hard to get, sell a toy if Batman is also going down on someone. But if it's, for, fun... it's for adults, why are they selling toys? 
Also, first of all, his mask is perfectly made for him to be able to do that. If he had, well, someone pointed that out. It's the only. It's the only thing. Like Spider Man, um, I don't know. It would be a hard. Yeah, for he him couldn't. To he'd have to pull it, it up. You know. Um. Yeah. Uh. No. It's like it's it's a. I don't know. Like I guess I guess the idea is that um, the fun the funniest thing that uh that was said about it was apparently the first thing they said was heroes don't do that which which <laughs> opens up a world where only villains eat pussy which is very funny to me which is why i i tweeted the trickster the the, the, the jeff johns trickster i don't know if you if you know that no. version of the flash villain i here here's my i'll, I'll bury it an hour or two because i don't like talking about um I'm like talking about comics in, in public all the time because people get weird about it. Oh, I thought it, you were going to say talking about eating pussy in public all the time. No, I'm fine with that. That's fine. Listen, like we're <laughs> we're all I'm, adults. I'm just I'm just like I'm just like uh, Albus Dumbledore's characters over here. Like, um, but uh, yeah, like the the um, you know, like the 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 coolest um. The coolest rogues gallery of villains is the Flash's rogues gallery of villains. Oh, yeah, because... all those weird Silver Age guys, like a puppet oh, master yeah. and shit. I've never even read them. I've just seen those amazing covers. Like... Oh, they're, 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 honestly, they are they're some of the only comics, Silver Age comics, that are, like, truly, truly worth going back to. Because they're all, like, the goofiest crap. Because, yeah. like, his, his villains are, like, what, the trickster, weather wizard... <laughs> Um, there's a guy, Captain who, Cold. Isn't there a guy, Captain who, like, Boomerang, turns people into puppets or something? There's a famous thing. Yeah, yeah, there is, and it's oh. super surreal and weird looking. Um, let me see, Flash Rogues Gallery. Well, uh, anyway, gang, Captain Cold, Mister Element, the Trickster, Weather Wizard, Reverse Flash, Abracadabra, uh, Mirror Master, the Top, Heat Wave, wait, wait. and Super Gorilla Grodd. The top could be sexual, yeah, or you could also the, spin around. He spins around a okay. lot, is is yeah. But um, I, I I posted the the trickster. Um, although the top has far and away the most sexual possible outfit. Um, <laughs> I'll just I'll just say I'll, I'll send I'll send you the link to the image. Um, uh, just just so you can have a sense of it. But um, uh, yeah, I, I the the trickster uh, that Jeff Johns made is just this like it's this extraordinarily stupid. Yeah, oh, I said I'm chat. looking at it. He looks like a, is he, is yeah. he like a football hooligan? What's yeah. His? He looks like that. Or like, he's like new metal or something. Oh, that uh, makes sense. Yeah. I love him. I love his character design more and more. Cause it's the dumbest possible <laughs> choice you can make. And so like, I, I said that that's the only character in DC who eats pussy because in my mind, the funniest thing about saying heroes don't do it is that the only people who then can are like weird soccer hooligan villains. Dude, that's like the setup of, of every anarchist slogan from the early 2000s. Like, if X is outlawed, only outlaws will X. So it's like, <laughs> if eating pussy is villainous, only villains will eat pussy. That's like a, um, that's like, I think there was like a Jello Biafra album title that was like that, where it was one of his, uh, one of his uh, spoken words. My favorite thing about uh, Jello Biafra spoken word was the one album I had. Um, that I thought was very cool that I had it uh, when I was like four, 15. Uh, he, he talked about Bush versus Gore and said, uh, what did he say? He goes, uh, King George versus Prince Albert. <laughs> okay. Real good. Like, nice work. You just... Anyway, so my comics, you know, there's nudity and there's sex in them, but it's not necessarily about eating pussy. I was... I was, I was re- I was reacting to the prompt of the day, <laughs> as you do. But yeah, so Soft X-Ray Mindhunters is out. I have a newer one called the March Noir Library, 
that is also uh, very abstract. It's kind of like a library of hypothetical comics, just the covers, mm. the back covers. That's what came out this past spring. Um, let me look up. Reminds it- me of a version of, um, and probably a better version. Although I liked this comic too of uh, Terms and Conditions. Have you read that? Oh no, I've heard of it. What is that? It's neat. It's a uh, it's a comic by. I'm gonna find. I wrote a. If you, if you if you want a nice review of it, I wrote a review of it for the um, for the uh, uh, LA Review of Books. But it's by uh, uh, R. Sikoriak. Oh yeah, um, I know him. He's a, yeah. Is it? It's the actual. It's the actual terms, terms and conditions. conditions. That, yeah. Yeah. Um, for for um, <laughs> that you agree for with when you uh, agree like on iTunes or something. Yeah. Um, and it's uh, yeah, it's, it's iTunes, and he he just draws in different styles the whole time. So there's like. He does Steranko and he does Graining and he does like uh, he does uh, Ramita and he does like it's it's very good burn like it's 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 excellent it's I mean he's a really good artist so that helps um, but I'm, yours sounds like your sounds like kind of a more imaginative uh, well, conceptual version of it's it basically too. it's basically you know like it's like it's like if you found when I was describing those flash comics that I've only seen the covers for, it's kind of the same thing, except you only see the covers and the back covers. So you okay. imagine the whole world that takes place inside of it. What I'm yeah, looking cool. for, I'm kind of distracted because I'm looking through my email because Stephen Murphy, the Catamites has new games oh, cool. that I've done art in, but hold on. He, I'll have to use that intro to talk to the Catamites. He's, you should, he's, uh, I like, no, I like the Catamites work. We've just never, I don't think we know each other. Where, what is, I can't, when is this from? All I can find is something from 2017. Anyway, <laughs> hold on one second. I, I think I can figure out. He made, he made a new, new series of games that he's not advertising and just letting people find. Mm. But I said, can I advertise them? And he said, yes. <laughs> <laughs> So, I cannot advertise them. So hold on. Uh, so I'm looking it up so I can. Okay. The name of 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 it of his thing is on Game Jolt. It's called Garment District at Garment District, and there's a bunch of horror games he's made <laughs> that are all awesome, and they're called like Eyes of the Killer, Hands of the Killer, and you should check them out because I have art in them and they're amazing. <laughs> nice. Okay, great. But they're, they're semi hard to find on purpose. Yeah. It reminds me of, um, it reminds me of how, um, uh, um, one of the, I had Josh Sawyer on, uh, a while back and, uh, one of his favorite things is, uh, he, he gets credit on, uh, the, the video game, um, Tacoma, uh-huh. which was by the, uh, yeah, by yeah. the, Oh God! What was that? It was, I wrote about it. Um, oh God! The, the, now you're making me forget the name. I have I have art in uh, Gone Home. I can't remember oh, their name. You have art in Gone Home? Yeah, I have uh, a bunch of. I made maybe two. I wrote two. I wrote on Gone Home. That's in, that's in the book. Well, nice. There there's a uh, there's, wow. some, there's some Riot Girl there's some Riot Girl uh, posters that I did in there. Oh really? I wonder. I wonder. Hold on. Let me. Um, there's one that looks uh, like a Dick and Jane drawing. Yeah, a lot of my friends have worked on that. Alex Senwald did a Lisa Frank thing. Zach Hazard made a bunch of, I think he did the sci-fi covers. A bunch of Oh, cool. I, I didn't realize that. That's yeah, really cool. Yeah, Carlos Zimonja is, is uh, from Bright, Bright? Fulbright Company. 
Fulbright Company, right? Yeah, yeah, Fulbright Company, right, yeah. yeah. Carla has been uh, around. She's been in the comics orbit for a long time. She's a real cool, sweet person. So that's how I know them. <laughs> okay. So Yeah, no, I, uh, so like uh, Josh, um, Josh did, has a credit on Tacoma for uh, translating, um, translating uh, um, uh, beer cans. <laughs> Well, that's why when Tacoma came out, I was joking about how I'm in Tacoma because I didn't do anything on this one and I had done stuff. So I was saying I was the secret character in Tacoma. <laughs> if you caught that happening. And then Carla, I didn't, Carla but that's told great. Me to stop because it was getting... <laughs> it was getting too real. It was getting too annoying. But, I'm uh, glad, like, I actually, I don't know if this gets in the book or not. I love this. I love this um, article, though. I'll, I'll send you it. Um, yeah, it's on non-site. I used I used the cover for Groove magazine, which I don't think is yours. No, but, absolutely uh, definitely. Not. Now that I know, now that I, I love I just loved this cover because it said exclusive AIDS in Africa, and at the bottom, Max and Martine wanted for the murder of Straight Edge. <laughs> that's just that's just so good. Um, I actually I got this dude mad at me uh, who made the other game I talked about uh, called uh, which was called the Talus Principle, and he got real mad at me because I said it didn't uh, it it basically has a libertarian ethos and he, he added me and was like i said it was close i said it did like a good job with a lot of stuff but ultimately if you play it the right way or the way that the game wants you to play it it's individualist if you play it the wrong way it's actually pretty cool which is what i also ended up saying about gone home too no one from the fulbright uh, company got mad at me though they, well, I, they sort of I, thought it was I interesting think, i think gone home is made so you're supposed to play it however you want to be honest yeah I mean, there's, there's an arc to it but you can also pay attention as much as you want to the other family members or not well, i mean they all have and there's yeah there. there's much more of a well, this is a whole other conversation, but the, the, I think like the, the, I, I got yelled at cause I, I was told the, um, I was told the, uh, I, the game couldn't be capitalist cause, uh, they quoted Trotsky in it, which I still think is one of the best. Oh. <laughs> I, I love, I love that defense so much. Wait, I never, I never those, ever want to, don't, I, I don't want to take it away from them. Don't all of those fucking God awful shooters. What is, I don't remember if it's call of duty or not. Don't they have like anti-war slogans in between arcs in between chapters and stuff yeah a lot of times i i do talk about that in the book with uh with uh uh they, they did that a lot with and to the best effect with still the sort of like not like you know it didn't change the world or anything it's just kind of interesting effect in uh, uh spec ops the line where yeah. like after you've like done the white phosphorus bit where like it does portray it as a war crime thankfully um and you're supposed to feel like it's like it's like the turning point of the game because you realize like oh god what did I do like I I did this and the game made me do it but I was complicit is what you're supposed to think. Um, the game gives you these like these, these loading screens that just say you're still a good person. <laughs> like that's, that's clever. That's I always like that. I'm looking at that and then I'm also looking at this other screenshot I included in the article of my favorite visual gag in Gone Home, which is still. Un, like unparalleled when they're setting it up as a survival horror or like a spooky game. Yeah. Um, and you're not sure what's happened. TV's on and stuff. And you keep like expecting you're going to find something. And then you walk into the bathroom and there's blood in the tub. And then you open it up and it's, it's manic panic. It's manic panic. Yeah. That's, uh, that, that's perfect. just perfectly done. Nothing, nothing's done. Nothing's come close. Yeah. So I think, yeah, my friend Jack, I think did the, the book covers to the dad's failed sci-fi series. Like the dad in Gone Home. Oh, really? Right? Yeah. Yeah. No. No. I know exactly what you're talking about. I loved. I I followed the family very closely. Yeah. I, I thought that game was great, and it was funny that that game 
was immediately turned on. Like, people were like, this game's great. And then I feel like a year and a half, two years later, I heard people being shitty about it. I was like... Well, it's Gamergate, man. Like, I, Oh, yeah. I, I forgot I forgot the time. Yeah, the time. Yeah, that, that came out right, right when it... Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, like, you know, my... Well, anyway. Um, <laughs> anyway, I, I said I was going to let you go. So well, okay, I, will, so I will do that. I just want to reiterate that look up at Garmin District on Game Jolt and play all of Game Jolt? Game Jolt. Uh, Game Jolt. I thought it, at first when you said it, I thought it was Gay Jolt, like Gay yeah, like Angel. Gay Angel. Yeah, Game Jolt. And then I thought like Gay Gaming Angel or. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Game Jolt is kind of like, it's like an itch.io kind of thing. It's a little bit different, but a lot of, you know, there's all types of like communities that people do mods and stuff. And then there's people who put up their own stuff. Cool. Nice. Oh, sweet. Five, Night, Five Nights and Freddy's. I, that's a game that's not controversial right now, right? Christ. I barely understand even what that is. Yeah, someone's pro-life that does it, I guess. I don't know. Whatever. And so, yeah, Some follow me on game. Twitter. <laughs> follow, follow Deegan on Twitter. I'm trying uh, to think of whatever other projects I've done recently. Um, oh, I did the logo for McTiernan's uh, new. Oh, yeah. No, you did. The uh, Live at the Death Factory. I'm just making it's a stuff great for logo. Irish people now, man. I mean, so is so is the Catamites. He's also a Dublin person. Boy, that's man. I gotta get a. I gotta get out from under the yoke of the Irishman. <laughs> so Sick many people me. say that. <laughs> uh, people people are constantly saying the Irishman has their yoke around me. <laughs> <laughs> that's like a new. That feels like a new black Israelite style. Like, yeah, like, I don't like it. It's, yeah, it's a little tough. <laughs> Jesus. Um, but yeah, uh, Adam, Adam's at, uh, 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 Alex, I called you Adam on another podcast. That's the second too. time you've called me Adam. I know man. this is, t- this happens. I, okay. Here's one last story. I, uh, <laughs> I, I dated a girl named Carol in high school, um, uh, who is doing well, which is, which was nice to hear. Um, I actually met back up with her and my buddy Ian cause they heard that I was going to be at, a at the video game debate for Chapo. They heard on Chapo that my name was, they were like, Trevor? Is that the same? <laughs> they just came to the show. So that was kind of neat. But um, Carol, uh, I dated her and our friend group was at the time almost all hard C or K names. Uh-huh. So it was like Carol, Kevin. I think Kevin's girlfriend was like uh, Carrie maybe. Um, and there was like, uh, another, there was Courtney and like, so like my brain is bad at names. So I would constantly call Carol the wrong name and she got very angry. With me. <laughs> Dude, I, you know, this is a, this is another country, but I was dating a girl named I. And then after I broke up with I, I was dating a girl named you. Oh no. And then after that, <laughs> I dated a girl, Minori, whose you know, shortened version of her name was me. And my, I didn't even notice that happened until my brother pointed it out, and I was like, "That's like bad writing." Like, that's why. That's why you had your existential crisis. How did that happen? <laughs> I've I've tried to I've tried to be with I and you and me, and <laughs> <Yeah>. nothing's worked. <laughs> nothing's worked. <laughs> nothing's worked. Uh, okay. uh, but a- a- Alex is at A to the D. Uh, there is a uh, oh, yeah. an underscore between V and D. Yeah, that's a bad that's a bad name. I should change it, but you know. It's too late. I mean, you, when you made it, you did not know if you would be uh, again booted from the website for no reason. Yeah, I didn't know if I didn't know if Nazis and cops would uh, get me. Oh, out. that was a dark, dark series of days when you weren't online. 
<laughs> well, now I'm quitting for real. Oh, no. <laughs> it's over. <laughs> All right, Ed, we'll come back soon. Okay, uh, we'll do the, we'll do, do the Patreon shortly. I'll keep you up another two hours. <laughs> uh, <laughs> All right, talk to you later. Talk to you later. Hey, thanks for listening to No Cartridge. If you'd like to support us further, please consider going to patreon.com slash nocartridge or for a one-time donation, paypal.me slash hegelbon, H-E-G-E-L-B-O-N. It's really, really helpful for all of us to be able to support uh, the many people who make the show, uh, you know, myself included, but also our producers and various co-hosts um, and, and writers and artists. Thank you so much for listening. Please remember to like, subscribe, share, any of those things that would let other people get the quality video game analysis that you've grown accustomed to.